Oh, hey, Internet. Welcome to the Intoxicated Podcast, a weekly comedy talk show that dives into the personal lives of comedians, experts, and creators. I'm your host, Sarah McClellan, a very amateur stand-up comedian and self-proclaimed sad girl. Every week, I dive into who people really are, the good, the bad, and everything in between. It's the comedy podcast with a lot of heart. Feel hard and talk hard. This is the Intoxicated Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are back. Welcome back to another episode of the Intoxicated Podcast. Woo, woo, woo. Episode 204. Yeah, that's right. I had to think about that for a second. Wow. This is the fourth episode of the relaunch here with producer Sarah. Hey. Oh, hey, girl. Hey. Hey, how you doing? I'm pretty good how are you i'm great thank you so much i had some pizza i'm great how can we I just had a pizza party and uh probably ordered too much pizza i'm thinking there is never too much pizza that's true there is only leftover pizza only leftover pizza you're so very that same meal right. prep just order some pizzas and they're good to go for the week mm-hmm. so uh we've had an interesting week <laughs> haven't we <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting. It's been full of event sets for sure. <laughs> yes, it's very we, eventful since we last chatted. Um, so we last week we plugged Ladies Night at Oasis, and we sure did. in a case of what I can only call unfortunate timing, <laughs> we both weren't there. Yeah, that happened. That that happened. And um, so for different reasons, though, for different yeah. reasons, it's not like we skip school together and we were taught. Yeah, that's the metaphor we use, by the way, when we both had to back out of ladies night, we both said it really feels like we're skipping school together because it's that like like weird feeling of like we're friends and we're both bailing and it's going to look suspicious and it's going to look weird when really it we was just really shitty time. <laughs> we weren't together at all. It's the first time I've seen you all Since, week. Yeah. So I just had a bad mental health day that day. Um, actually, the day before I had a bad mental health day, and I predicted another bad mental health day on Tuesday. Um, so I skipped it. And this was my first time backing out of an open mic. And it felt shitty. I didn't like it. It's but, never fun. But your health and well-being come first. And this was me for once in my life saying, I'm going to stay in and sleep and cry um i'd love that for you which i did so so that's that's why i wasn't there but you had a very different reason why you weren't there yeah i thought i had appendicitis that is insane it was really insane and it was scary and i literally thought i was dying even though the doctors kept on telling me i wasn't dying i thought i was dying that and it's so scary too because um they kind of dismissed it didn't they yeah I, my doctor looked at me and she's like you probably should just go to the emergency and i was like super bloated i was like i'm dying and she's like no <laughs> wait she told you to go to emergency but she, she checked me out and then told me to go oh okay yeah so she, she didn't send you home with nothing but they 
They did. They did. <laughs> yeah. Cause okay. they're like, oh, it's, you're fine. Just like <sighs> stay hydrated and like take Advil for the pain. And I was like, okay. Isn't that so, like, the, the times that I've gone to the ER, most of the times I've walked away with that. Just yeah. like some painkillers and I've had stomach issues my entire life. And like every single time I had to go to the emergency for my stomach issues, they always dismissed me. It was crazy? like, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. And then like I talked to my family doctor and she's like, oh, well, it could be this, this, this and this. Like you could have kidney stones. You could have like an ulcer. Like she would list off a reason like why I should be seen by a doctor. And then I'd go to the emergency and they'd be like, yeah, nothing's wrong with you. It's just, it is just constantly like getting second opinions and like advocating for yourself and really just watching out for you. Yeah. And um, thankfully, you're okay. And yeah, nothing came of that. You're okay. <laughs> thankfully, yeah. everyone's okay. You know what? It's just been a really rough week. I feel like we had a really good week the week before. Both of us were like, we're feeling good. <laughs> and now we're like in the Bo Burnham song. And now we're like, we feel like shit. Like, <laughs> like that's like kind of exactly what happened. So, but, but we did mess out on the ladies' night. I guess it was a good show. Um, but unfortunately, we weren't there. But this week on Intoxicated, we have a very comedy heavy episode. So, in honor of that, I figured we would talk about some, like, three questions about co- comedy. Um, and so I put on Instagram a, like, a little question box saying, you know, specifically to comics, what's your favorite thing about doing it, your least favorite thing about doing it, and how you feel about getting feedback after shows, which is, like, I feel like everyone's different on these three subjects, which makes it kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'll first read some responses, and then we can discuss. So in terms of people's favorite thing about doing comedy, uh, some responses are uh, sharing stories and inspiring laughter, which is really, really Ugh. nice. Aww. Right? Getting in the zone. Okay. There's definitely a zone, I guess, when you're telling jokes. Using my humor to teach the people a little something or just seeing them react to my BS. Okay, that's cute. (laughs) That is cute. Succeeding where the vast majority of people can't. I love that. That's really cool, too. Um, I love this answer. It's just very honest. It just says the attention. (laughs) Uh, Interacting with the audience and new jokes working. Love that. Those are all such okay. great things. That gives me like the feel. The feels. What's your favorite thing about doing stand up? I like making people laugh. You just like getting. I like getting the laugh, getting that reaction. Yeah, and I do like being able to do something that a vast majority of people can't. It is a really cool feeling, right? Yeah. It's almost like we like, but I think it's. It, I think that feeling of being rare comes with ego. And that's the tricky part, right? Because we do feel so special. That's where your ego comes into play. And that's like why I always say you got to keep that ego in check. My ego's always kept in check. I have social anxiety. There you go. (laughs) And you really do. It's true. Yeah. Um, And so we have to constantly battle that. But that is definitely a a fun part of it for sure. It it is. We are all quite, quite special. Um, Not many people do stand up. We're we're crazy for doing it. We're all good at something. All good at something. But, like, something about being on the stage and, like, being able to write your own jokes and being able to make an audience who doesn't know you laugh. Like, there's something special about that. Something very special about that, for sure. And I really like what, um, I'll just plug them, Chris Halef said, the the new jokes working part. Um, oh, and yeah. I would agree that that's a really good feeling where on the first try of a joke... Like your first go of it, you get that reaction and you're instantly validated for what you put work into. And I, that is just such, 
That's an amazing Such feeling. Such a good feeling because you're like, most jokes will eventually work or some jokes will eventually work. Yeah. But it's just really nice when it works right away. Like, it's just very, there's no feeling like that. That's what happened to me with my awkward set because, like, I put so much hard work into that set and, like, literally pulled my heart and soul into it and it went so well at Yuck Yucks when I did it. And I was like, this is amazing. What a great set. And then I tried to do it again at Oasis and I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still got last. But, but like, it still makes that memory special. Exactly. That memory of when it did do good, you can still cherish that memory for what yeah. it was. Um, people's okay. So that it was your least favorite thing. Okay, so so someone did say the endless promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone said the fear of being laughed at instead of with. Mm. Oh God, something else to worry about. Yeah, audience members talking to me after the show gives me the feelings of embarrassment. Really, the struggle of writing. Oof, that's a big one. I feel that fear of bombing. And uh, uh, Chris Halef said Kyle Barnett. <laughs> I I really adore their friendship. <laughs> it's special. <laughs> it's very special. Um, what do you think of that? Like, I think my least favorite part is pretty much anything other than the stage time. <laughs> if I'm being okay, and maybe that's, this that's honest. Maybe that's this honest. is coming from a place of where I'm at currently with yeah. comedy. Uh, I am in a bit of a slump with it currently where I am resenting it a bit. Um, But I do think the two best things is being on the stage and also hanging out and bonding with other comics. I love that too. But really the business side of things, the politics, the um, taking things personally, comparing your, like all of that stuff, the psychological things that come with it aren't fun. That's what I would say if I'm honest. I love your honesty. Because I think a lot of people feel that, but they probably won't admit it. I mean, a lot of a lot of pros will will say things like, "I love doing this, but I hate everything else other than doing it." It makes sense. I just hate the pre stage nerves. Oh, that's a I don't like. But the feeling afterwards, feeling afterwards is great. But I just yeah, the pre stage nerves is they're very intense. intense. Yeah, but yeah, worth it. But like, also, is it <laughs> sometimes? Right? <laughs> and my third question was, how do you feel about instant feedback after a set? And the reason I asked this question was, we do dive into this in this week's episode. And we talk about that instant feedback loop of you just did this crazy thing. Your adrenaline is th- through the roof. And then you have to instantly critique it. And another question with a lot of polarizing opinions. So, so um some responses here uh i'll take whatever people want or feel the need to express openly any feedback is great fresh or not um someone just said no thanks no thanks. someone said uh, i love it when it's paired with a tip good if it's someone i respect uh someone just wrote don't don't do it <laughs> um another response is i always like feedback even when negative so as long as it's constructive and i love this honest answer just the word scary <laughs> i agree it's scary right <laughs> it is we talk in this episode about like just the idea of protecting the high um so like this is a really hard art to do and it it does take a lot of self-criticism and i feel like us as comics we are constantly ripping ourselves apart. And so, like, I do think we have to cherish those moments when we feel good. Absolutely. Um, I personally think the right time to give feedback 
is not when someone bombed and not when someone did totally well, but like that middle area where they're just like, oh, I did okay. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of slip in and go like, well, like, would you like, and ask the question, would you like some feedback? Ask for consent. Ask consent it. is important. It's so important. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of a tricky thing to manage, but I do think I kind of agree on both sides. I like, I mean, I'll never turn down feedback from someone I, I really respect and look up to. Yeah. Because to me, that's like gold. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that for sure. I don't like feedback right after a show. Not immediately right after. I will. I won't process it. Mm -hmm. And like if it's constructive criticism, I will take that completely the wrong way for sure. Even if I did a good show. Yeah. So, But I love constructive criticism like the day after. Yeah. Day after. Maybe like an hour after I performed. That's right. But it's you're protecting that high for some amount of time exactly yeah you know and that and i guess when i even say hi i i do also just mean the lows too because you have to protect when someone's in that that's exactly the energy that's what it is protect the energy after right afterwards i i would totally agree um so this week's episode is it is very comedy heavy i think if you are a comic you are going to love this um if you are someone who's fascinated by comedy you're going to love this this week's guest is a powerhouse you use the word powerhouse when you listen to this episode yeah yeah powerhouse is the right word workhorse power horse um what but not a horse power horse (laughs) shit power horse she's a workhorse she's a workhorse and a powerhouse yeah there you go He's a I horse, really messed but also that up. A house. You are not a horse, okay? If you're listening, so this week's guest is the amazing Lynn Woods, Woo-hoo. and she is a comedian. She is a screenwriter. She is a filmmaker. She is extremely, like, just unbelievably talented. She is talented. She's smart, and she's like a trifecta. She's smart, talented, and gorgeous. Yes. (laughs) She could be a model, too. She needs to add model to that list of of credits. Um, It's interesting, because Lynn and I recorded this podcast really late at night. It was right after my first guest spot at Yuck Yucks. Um, I'm very new. She is, I want to say she's four years into comedy. She's, She's a few years into comedy. She's experienced, and I just loved learning from her from a business standpoint how she approaches show production she had some really interesting insights into um diversity on shows and also what it's like navigating french and english comedy scenes which i found fascinating that was really fascinating so she is someone who's truly i would say carving her own way in her career and i look up to that so much because that work ethic and that drive is not something a lot of people have. Exactly. So you guys together are a powerhouse. Like holy Aww. moly, we're around you too. I was like, <laughs> power condo, power. Uh, what's a duplex? A power duplex. A power duplex. <laughs> a power two bedroom apartment. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we really popped off. Like I, I, um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to have her back on to just like talk about personal stuff more yeah yeah yeah. but that said i'm so thankful for this conversation because it was so informative and i do think again people who are entrenched in comedy are gonna love this one so you gotta follow lynn um she is on instagram at lynn woods please see her live because 
she is she's captivating. Ama- I didn't expect that from her live. Like, right? Because she's so calm when you talk to her in person. And she's so like down to earth and whatever. And then when you see her on stage, you're like, is this the same person? Right? <laughs> Are we sure that this is the same person? Yes. She's just she's just a force to be reckoned with, and you guys are gonna hopefully love this episode. Um, please do make sure to send us in voicemails and emails. We need those. So um, for these intros, we'd love to start taking your voicemails and questions. You can leave us a voicemail or email intoxicatedpodcast at gmail Also, follow the podcast on social media at Intoxicated Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the two main ones that we use. Subscribe on YouTube. And leave a Apple Podcast review, please and thank you. Leave that would be so reviews. awesome. I don't know. Um, merch is in the works. It's not official yet, but maybe what we can do um, going forward is like send people a little item or something in in return for a review. You will get a surprise for review and maybe a surprise for a voicemail. We don't know. Yes, that's true. We could start saying we could do for both. So this is what. We're, we're bribing you, essentially, is what's happening. <laughs> no, we're not bribing. We're just saying there's incentive for there's you. There's incentives. Better word choice. Not a bribe, an incentive. Um, so, yeah, please do those things because I would love to, like, hear what you guys think of everything. And obviously, it does help the podcast with visibility and stuff like that. So, it would be greatly appreciated. But that's about it for this one, you guys. We're going to get in to this awesome episode with the amazing Lynn Woods. Woo! Gosh, you guys! Lynn and Sarah getting together. <sighs> Lynn Woods is here. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, welcome back, everybody, to the Intoxicated Podcast. I am so excited to be here with an amazing woman kicking all of the ass, so much ass, in maritime comedy, Canadian comedy. She is a comedian. A screenwriter, a sometimes actor, but you know, I'm sure that will change. Um, I just got off a show with her at Yuck Yuck. She kicked butt all weekend middling. It's Lynn Woods! I'm here. I'm alive. I'm tipsy. (laughs) (laughs) We are, we are just off a show. Like so hot off a show. Yeah. That it's not even funny. And we are, yeah, we are a little primed up. With the booze, with the post show booze. And the during show booze. Booze. I am ecstatic that you are here. I'm so grateful for you to have me, Sarah. I'm finally in Halifax. I'm a human being and I'm an adult having adult conversation. And yes, I'm going to be hyper. That is me. I, I always feel less alone when I meet another hyper woman. And you certainly are that. You bring that energy. We, I, yeah. I truly, okay, so we, we need to go back. So we're going to go okay. back to how we met, which would have been like a year, about a year ago? I don't remember. A year ago feels wrong. What season was it that you? I know that it was driving weather because I wouldn't have come to Halifax otherwise. So I feel like a year ago was actually probably an exaggeration because we would have been in lockdown. So 
I, I hesitate to say two years ago, but I feel like it must have been in the fall of 2019, right? That might make sense. I feel like it was, it was the fall before of 2019. I started comedy. I, I hadn't done comedy yet. So I did a Sunday Sillies. Yeah. And the full expectation was to come back quite quickly. But I don't really do the winter driving. I don't really do that. Because okay. I'm a mom and I have to bring them to school. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we met, we connected on social media. I've been following, obviously, the podcast, your posts, like uh, your stories in- on Instagram. So I feel like I know you so much more Isn't that than crazy? we do. And actually being alive in person with you, I'm like, holy fuck, this is finally happening it's so weird yeah because really we only physically were together that one time the first time we met and we've had many interactions on socials many chats many ranty chats yeah um and like i you know we kind of have an idea of what's going on in each other's lives but it's not an in-person friendship and tonight we shared we shared the stage together tonight we did the stage we both did sets we both wore black dresses we both kicked so much fucking ass halifax doesn't even know what to do with its own self and yeah it feels so good so this was your first time middling at yuck is this was this your first time ever at yucks doing yucks well there was a yuck yucks in st john in new brunswick for a bit okay so i feel i feel like it was really new at the time i could actually validate dates but i'm not going to look into it at this time on my phone because i am probably too tipsy to figure that out in a fast enough amount of time so i was able to do an open mic at yuck yucks hosted by by um jimmy mckinley once then i was able to do a showcase there was like a New Brunswick sh- comics showcase that I was on. And then Yuck Yucks closed very shortly after that. But when it comes to actual legit um, official lineup Yuck Yuck show, this was actually my first. So I felt really, really fortunate to come down to Halifax for that. Yes. And I got to do two nights. I mean, I th- in at the end of the day, like when you see these types of lineups where they're usually identical night to night. Yeah. Like back to back. I honestly felt... The fact that both hosts were shifting and both guest spots were shifting so that I got two nights of seeing the most amount of comics possible. I honestly felt like it was like candy. Like I was just like, oh my God, I get to see as many Halifax comics as possible. So, you know, I, I think I think my 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 initial instinct would be like, oh no, if it's not going to be the same, like how am I going to handle it if it's not cookie cutter sort of? Yeah. But I honestly think like this was the best case scenario. So that I got to see you, I got to see Matt. I got Evans, to see Matt. I got to see Andrew Adrian. Evans. Adrian, yeah. So I feel so freaking lucky that in a, like in two nights. Yeah. I Isn't got that to crazy? see yeah, I got to see four different comics than uh, I initially would have expected or anticipated yes. how shows are booked. So that was the freaking sweetest. And you had two amazing sets. Two amazing nails. I feel really, really good about it. I don't think I've been able to pull off two comedy club gigs in a row. Like, one of them will, will, always makes me feel shaky. That doesn't mean it, it went bad. It's just been this, like, technique or this, like, refining of my material or confidence, to be 100% honest. Yeah. And this was the first time where I feel like I actually pulled it off both nights with being present and being able to go what feels good. Because the key to being a decent stand-up, and I'm so new, I shouldn't even be saying anything about this subject, is about being present and actually feeling what the crowd is feeling and what feels like a natural 
the natural the natural flow of what the next joke should be and it's the first time that i think both nights i was actually able to to go i'm standing on my own two feet on this friggin' stage what makes sense yeah and you nailed that i feel like i did really good thank you for saying that because i think i've done like i've done punchlines in st john a few times which is an amazing club i've always felt i always felt one night went better than the other oddly when the first night goes really well that's what knocks my like it kills me at the knees because i'm like gonna do that again when i don't do well on the first night that seems to work better for me because i'm like okay i have improvements i know i know where there was a long lull or there was a three minute without a laugh but this weekend at yuck yuck specifically like i felt really different about it i didn't try to replicate or duplicate anything i just went with what felt good and tried to keep it as fucking tight as possible. And it's this was it really felt like a massive milestone. You had the audience in the palm of your hand, truly. Really. It really felt that way. And it's like both I said, nights. like I'll have both to nights. listen. But I was there both nights and can confirm. Like you were just captive captivating would be the word I would use to describe like your presence. Because I yell. <laughs> Because she fucking demands it. <laughs> like a real she mom. She demands it. Yeah, like, I'm like, don't get distracted. Don't but heckle. But this is, like, kind of the thing with with you. Like, you really are going, this is who I am, bitches, listen. I, I mean, I've mentioned this. Like, I think there is a little bit of momness to it because I am a mom. But I do think it's also, like, I, I talk a lot about selling the car and I talk a lot about what our actual job is on that stage. Ooh. Well, tell it, them about, tell them. Okay, so we had a moment in the bathroom. We had a- yeah. Yeah, because Sarah did amazing tonight as well. Thank you. And I was paying very close attention because I do think it's important to actually try to follow a flow and make sure that there's no... I, I I like to I, I like to use the word duplic duplication. You need to make sure there's no duplication of material. Nothing that's but there too can be complementary. Complementary. So it's making sure that I, if if I have another comic on stage that I'm that I think there might be a possibility of that that I'm a, that I'm actually paying attention. From a, from a killer, Lynn. Okay. Sarah. Yes. Your job up there. <laughs> Is to sell the fucking car. <laughs> it's been in an accident. It's been in two accidents. You're in a used car lot, <laughs> and you're making the fucking sale. You're gonna close it. I'm gonna close that you fucking, fucking deal. Yeah. Every single one of those people will fight for the car, and that's their fucking job. So <laughs> I joke about selling the car because our job as 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 comics is to. Be very confident owning our punchlines, owning our setups, and making sure that we're actually hitting all of these marks. And a major part of that I compare to being a used car salesman where it's like this car has not been in an accident. So many of us are damaged. (laughs) It's like, no, 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 no. This is the car is amazing. This car is amazing. You want to buy it. And taking these very, very insanely confident pauses of where the laugh is. This is the punchline. This is where you laugh and that ownership. And that is 100% faked on my part with with time and with audacity, <laughs> with trying trial and error. I figured out that it works. So now I think that confidence is a little bit more like it's a real confidence versus a it's like a fake it till you make it. I finally feel like I sort you of made it. You faked yourself into making it. I think like I, at this point, like I've tested the theory to the point where I actually truly believe in it. So I, I do that. think there's an actual confidence there. But um, 
it's something that is so faked and cracks me up. And I told Sarah in private yesterday where <laughs> when I started doing stand-up in a stand-up comedy class with Nikki Payne, who's a freaking legend, mm-hmm. who I've admired Nikki for Payne. the better part of my life and still do, who makes stand-up comedy seem so easy yes. that you you get convinced that it's easy. Yes. That skill set to that degree where you're like, oh, I could probably do that. No, it's going to take a lot of hard work. My feet, my shoes were clacking so hard in Nikki Payne's class that I needed to take my shoes off because it was like teeth chattering. And I needed to point that out to Nikki. I was like, do you remember that that was me? Like I could not wear shoes on stage because my feet were clacking. That's how nervous and anxious I was. I couldn't even stand on my own two legs. And all that was part of my journey realizing that line of like my job is a used car salesman and I have to sell the car and my job just like doing an oral presentation in school is to not make anyone else uncomfortable because if they get a feeling and if they get a vibe that I'm nervous on stage they'll immediately empathize oh my gosh and they'll get to horrible space Uh emotionally and it's like if I go out there and I pretend like this is my fucking favorite place ever I'm eating it up this is the best I'm loving this attention everybody gets on board and that's immediately how I'm able to get to the punches faster Nikki Glazer said something very similar recently on her show she was essentially just like all an audience wants is to not feel nervous for somebody it's 100% that they you want to watch a performer and go they got this yeah. You know, like they're they're good. They're rooting for us. They're, they're rooting for you. And that, they like, really are. That is like so important. And I think that that's the insane thing about comedy and stand up and be- being a comedian and being in the green room and seeing a comic go up and do great and come back and the smile fades instantly. And they're instantly back in that anxious, self critical. Um, unable to enjoy the 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 glow of a good set, like it's very rare that you see a comedian just feel a hundred percent happy, which is good, by the way. I have to stress yeah. that as well that that makes the best comedians. But it's just a really funny thing to watch. Uh, to watch comedians just instantly be like, "Collapse! Fuck! I didn't didn't say this this way, or I didn't do this joke, or like." We're all so deeply insecure. We really But the true craft is not making that show on stage. It's not making it show on stage. And I'll go even one step further. I try to not even do it that night. Yeah. Because if you don't give yourself that high of that success story of you getting up on stage, whether that went well, whether that did not go well, if you don't even give yourself that moment, that momentarily release... That yeah. stress relief and that release, I will I will always pretend like it went great because, again, it's part of selling that vehicle. It's part of selling that car. If I have questions, I will ask the person I feel the most closest to days later if they have feedback. Yeah. But I will let, give myself. And can we let other people? Like, I, I think you make a great point because when I was starting out, because I was already friends with so many comedians... And I was already opening a lot of conversations about comedy. I had a lot of comic friends come to me right after sets going, you want feedback? 
and I would take it because, but there is a damage in that too. It's like, can I, can I just be an open micer that is glad that she didn't bomb? And (laughs) and I I made them laugh twice. So (laughs) can I just enjoy this? You got two good jokes. No, that's your, Sarah, you could not be more right. And I was very fragile at the start. So I think I was in, in more control than I think. Yeah, maybe. I think you were so deeply in the trenches of the comedy yes. scene to begin with. Yeah, that You're that vulnerability and that intimacy is a, a weird word, but you already had that 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 relationship built. You had that relationship built with these comics to the degree where it's. I mean, it comes from a very caring place. It comes from a kind place. It comes from a hey, I know exactly what I need to tell this person, and that'll help them in their journey. But you're so fucking vulnerable after you come off stage. My God. That high needs to be protected. Not everyone can handle it. Some people will seek it. But if you don't come to me and you don't say, I honestly wouldn't even do it. Sarah, if you came to me after a set and you asked me immediately, like if I had feedback, I would, I would probably not even, for me, it's such a, it's such a vulnerable place. And it's so important that after you go through all of that mental and anxious period before a set and after you go through that insanely, that, that insane thrill ride of being on stage, the last thing you need is that checkpoint. That checkpoint immediately after. Like, it's almost like an exam, like a it's test. It's like an exam and a test and getting the, the result too quickly. A grade, and, yeah. And you need, you need this minute of just going, it I doesn't even thing. matter. I did the thing. I did fucking that happened, check. That happened tonight. So, like, I was telling Lynn on the way over here, like, I felt very emotional tonight just because it was my first time on the Yuck stage. I've never even done amateur nights at Yucks. That They stopped before I could even do them because I started, like... I started literally a year ago. <laughs> um, and I felt super emotional because, number one, insanely grateful for the spot. Insanely grateful mm-hmm. to open up a show with, like, you and Francois. Like, and and um, the moment that I, I got off and and came to the green room and just saw you guys, like, clapping for me, I was just like, ah! like, 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 because I knew in my head, I'm like, okay. I didn't have the feeling of killing Mind you, I don't think I've ever had that feeling. <laughs> but I have had sets where I go, I nailed most of my jokes. Like, you know, 80, 90%. And tonight was like, it was good. I, I still think I could have done way better. But um, to see you guys do that made me feel relieved. You did really, really good. But at the same time, it's like you have that, that correct awareness, which yes. is what most comics have. Yeah. Now, adding to that... Like, if you already have a self-awareness, Sarah, of coming off stage and going, you know what? I think I know what I need to listen to and where I yeah. need to trim or where I need to add or where I need Instant to tag, line. where I need to punch. Why Why would me adding a very thick layer of fucking Hellman's mayo right over your fucking <laughs> shit sandwich? Why, why the fuck is that helpful? You know, if I see you make the same set over and over and over again absolutely 100% verbatim and that I see you're not growing as a comic, then maybe at some point I'd be like, hey, Sarah, maybe at some point we'd like to have a coffee because you have so many good little nuggets and premises that I'd like to discuss or whatever. But not right after a fucking set. Who the fuck are you to fucking say something after? Like, we're in the middle of a show! Okay, I I love what you're saying because I think it's so true. Drives me insane. I think so many comics... I think you should take this art seriously. 
I don't want people to get it twisted with me, but I do think, yes, can we just allow ourselves to come down? It's kind of like, um, I just thought of a comparison, hardcore, rough sex, you know, (laughs) there's always aftercare. There's always, um, after you have a really like crazy session of sex, there's always that moment of like, let's just lay. Yeah. Let's just lay and like appreciate the fact that we just did that. We're not going to go into, oh, you didn't touch me here at this time. Like, like <laughs> It's ridiculous. And it's like I said, there's, there's no art form that's more vulnerable. I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm. Because we have to stand up there and be ourselves with our own names. We have no characters to hide behind, even though they say it's an amplified version of a part of yourself. Like, I don't give a shit how you want to frame it. There's no more vulnerable art form. It's your fucking name on a fucking poster. There's no credit that says Lynn Wood's ass. Like, it's There's fucking... There's no backing music. It's my There's, fucking it's name. It's just you and a mic. There's no editing. There's no this was your best take. It's the most vulnerable art form. And I think it's really sacred that yes. that that walking off the stage, I just did something that made me insanely vulnerable. And I don't yeah. think the night of is the time for that it's high time and it's time to bond and it's time to connect as comics and it's time to just like kind of do like that little mini celebration but again if like on a thursday after a show you want to have a coffee and go through our material and our jokes fucking book it but after a show i've had people chase me down to criticize that was a three out of ten tonight yeah i don't what You're going to run after me down the nice street in Moncton, New Brunswick, close to a deluxe french fries to tell me a three out of ten? Fuck off. If you're not going to make me feel good, you could just fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, yeah, and I, and, and I also think it's important to, you know, like a lot of people say, like, I didn't get any feedback. No one said anything to me after a set, so I knew it was a bad one. And that's. I, I do think that there's value in not saying fake compliments just to like, yeah, like if someone genuinely did really bad <laughs> yeah. and um, tell me if you agree with this. I kind of thought of this recently about like shows and that like post show evaluation of like, was it a bad crowd? Was it a bad set or was it not a match? And I think of it like online dating where it's like either the comic was really bad the crowd was rowdy, drunk, really bad, really bad crowd. There have they do exist, or it's the third option of the comic just didn't connect with that audience, and it wasn't a match, like a Tinder match. I think there's a huge variety. I'll tell you one of the biggest lessons I got in the shortest amount of time ever. Yes, please do. Ever, I had opened for. I'll name them. It was Jen Grant and Julian Dion on my birthday. And it must have been in 2018. I was very new. I think it was my fifth or my sixth set ever. And I had placed third in the French hubcap comedy contest. So I think I think they thought I was a lot better than I was. Anyway, um, I heard this really interesting take, which was about Friday night crowds. And I think it was Jen who said it. She called it Costco listing. Where she's like, Friday night crowds are Costco listing. And that line specifically was describing the audience members tendency to start doing, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go do my groceries. I need to go to Costco. I need to pick up this. I need to pick up that. And that level of distraction. Mm 
cost school listing meant a level of a distracted audience member mm-hmm. uh, and what they what what they were referring to is very very specifically having such a tight set so they would not have the time or the ability to start Costco listing. Mm. Whereas a Saturday night crowd has done most of their errands, they're, they're open-minded, they're more they're more able to let loose. Yeah. So that was a very very quick verbal lesson that I got very early on when it where, where I felt it very rather accurately described a Friday night crowd versus a Saturday night crowd. My accent's coming out. Enjoy it. So from that point on, I started having a very dif- different perspective going into gigs on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And I did notice that Friday night crowds are a lot, are a lot younger. Interesting. Because, I mean, and I think that we, this is a great time to plug Yuck Yucks. Because t- tonight was a great example of it. Um, Yuck Yucks moved venues. So it used to be in a hotel. And it attracted, I think, a lot older audience. What Francois Weber, baby, name drop, Mm-mm. is trying to do with this new Yuck Yucks yeah. to attract a younger audience. It's and working. when I actually looked out tonight, I was very happy to see very young. a lot of young people. There were some whiteheads. Yeah. There were some whiteheads. But very young people, like university, young adults, 30s, 20s, 30s, I would say. Yep. And that's amazing because of the location change that it's now attracting those people and you're right it it's tough to do comedy on a night where people are like i gotta get to bed at 10 i gotta get get to like like it's just hard it's not an easy thing to do to we're all busy overwhelmed adults i've even had trouble (laughs) staying attentive at comedy shows i do too but again, again, like it's it's not a it's not a rule. Yeah, it's like this odd thing of like having that flexibility of being comfortable with your material, the volume of material, making yes. sure that when you're actually preparing sets that you have almost backups. Yeah, it's very weird. Ooh. And I think because I'm an anxious person and I have anxiety, I think I defaulted to making sure that I had these backup plans in place earlier on only because of these you know in like insanely successful professional comics that i admire and eavesdropping almost a lot of these things weren't necessarily said to me directly but i'd be like eavesdropping and i'd be like oh there's something i'm learning here and i should pay attention and try to interpret this how i think you can maybe benefit me oh man man oh man man because that night like that night was a friday night and it was my birthday and I opened for Jen and Julian, and I was not invited back the next day. So a lot of people would just be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Like, that's embarrassing. No, that was a lesson. I think that that's such a great mindset. When I was going into tonight, I went, worst case scenario, I do bad, and I learn. Yeah, you learn. Best case I do good. I know what I'm doing is working. I can revel in the fact that I did a yuck yucks guest butt and yeah, yeah, yeah. like like and I was just like, oh okay, so there's no losing here. There is no. And if you go into things like that, it can be tough because it's. I mean, like we said, comedy is an insane thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But if you just remind yourself of that that outlook, I think it can really help people. Yeah. Well, did I ever tell you about how I always book the next gig before I book? Like before I go on stage, I always have another another gig booked. 
at the same spot so that it not not the same spot but it changes my mindset to if it doesn't go as well as I thought, if I didn't get to a joke I really wanted to do, if I forgot a punch, if I forgot a tag, it shifts my mindset from a failure to what do I need to fix by X date. And I've been doing that since the beginning. So I know that if you're following me on social media, it seems like I'm doing almost too many gigs. I overly promote. I get that. And I've told people openly, snooze me if you need to. Well, well, okay. This this actually shifts nicely into my assumption segment. Okay. So okay, let's so, go. So okay, we're doing segments now and intoxicated. We're we're organized here in this. Oh my new, god! On this new iteration. Oh of the my show. god! Um. So you're a new guest, so you get an assumption. I'm a new guest. So we're social media friends. So I need to open with what I assume about you based on what I know. Don't punch me in the face. Ow. And what I assume about you, Len, is that you're busy as fuck. <laughs> Number uh, one, can we just say, like, you're a writer. Yeah. You do a shit ton of shows. Mm-hmm. I, I, You're always doing shows. I, I, I complain... <laughs> I complain constantly about, oh, I gotta do four open mics in a week. This bitch, I, I mean, uh, you, you're just, you're always on shows. And you're a mother. And you're a woman. And you're an adult in the world. Living life. All facts. Is, is this true? Are you busy as fuck? Or do you? I feel crazy in my mind. Everyone <laughs> knows that. But I am, I do have shared custody. I think, I think a lot of people who don't know my history don't understand that I ended up with like half of the time of my life where I was in full identity crisis mode and what the fuck do I do with my time? So you're not wrong. It's almost like that week where I'm, where, where I'm not with my kids. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with myself. And that's where stand up came into play oh, quite hard. So, uh, I know, I remember one guy said at one point, like, you started doing stand-up and then you went psycho with it. And I was like, well, I needed to do something with those hours because it's a, it was like, uh, if I'm at home and my kids are asleep and I'm watching Netflix, that's normal. If I'm at home, I'm watching Netflix and the kids aren't there, I would cry. So it was like this really weird need where if it was um, functional, if it had direction, if it had purpose, I had no guilt. And so <laughs> by shifting my career in this sort of direction, it helped me. Well, I'd always wanted to be a screenwriter. I went to film school, blah, blah. It really, really helped sort of center me and give that weak purpose. Mm. So I do feel like I'm busy. <laughs> 12 hours a day sitting on my ass watching Gilmore Girls. Like, I don't know what to tell you. So I, 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 I am creatively always sort of developing. I'm always sort of creating. Yeah. I do feel like living life now and meeting different people and actually keeping a pulse on what I'm feeling, what I'm living, what I want to say about that, whether it's in stand-up or in sketch or in whatever way. Yeah. Screenwriting is 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 taking part in my life at this time. I actually feel like that all of a sudden has creative artistic value. Right. So it's weird. It feels busy. But you're fulfilled. I'm fulfilled. It's a fulfilled. And this is the thing. It's hard to keep that in check because there can be a line of when the burnout happens. And like I thought of it the other day being like fun work is still work. So you still have to set boundaries, I think, even with 
fun work, you know? Like, people think podcasting and stand-up is really fun, so it must not feel like work. It's still work, bitches. Like, it, it, it is. <laughs> Even though it's fulfilling me and, like, stuff like that. You still have to, you still have, to have your Gilmore Girl nights. Your, yeah. For me, it's lay in bed and scroll on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I've avoided TikTok. I have an addictive personality. I know to avoid that. <laughs> you would be amazing but on I TikTok. But think, I think this is... I mean, thank you. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think I think you're not wrong, but I think it's because it's so passionate. Yeah. I think when we do these things that we're passionate about, it takes a lot out of us because so much of our emotional labor and everything is so fucking poured into it. And it's so poured on so fucking thick that it's the best time ever. 16 hours feels like three hours. Yeah. But then oh, the, the then we end up feeling drained. But it is absolutely 100% fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So it's this like really weird thing where it's like if anybody was like, well, why don't you stop doing it if it exhausts you? And you're like, that's inconceivable. <laughs> like I would never stop doing this thing that I'm passionate about. Yeah. But I, 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 at the end of the day, that's what we were supposed to strive for as little kids in the first place. So it's like, I don't know how to yeah. consolidate that. I don't know if you ever had a moment where you went... I'm curious about this with you because you're a, a bit older than me, but we're kind of in the same realm. I'm older. Um, so much older. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to say it. No, I like it. I, asked you I don't last mind night. at all. I asked you last night how old I you are. I don't mind at curious. all. It's just facts. It doesn't it's offend just me. Facts. Look how it's just facts. It's just facts. It doesn't matter. It doesn't Check matter it. how old you are. Wait. Oh, as fuck. There <laughs> we go. I don't know. Oh, what the that. mic is covering it, of course. Um, Good. But, like, did you have a moment in your life where you went, my life is now going down this path of being so wildly different than I thought it was. And I just need to embrace it. Because I've definitely had those moments of like, okay, I'm, I have accepted that I'm just going to be a workhorse. And personal life downtime and stuff like that is going to be a little less with me. And I'm okay with that. Did you, like, did you, did you ever have that moment where you went, Holy shit, this is... I never expected to be here, but bring it on. 100%. So I was a federal public servant for 10 years. Wow. And then I had a burnout and got divorced. And I'm not even divorced. I'm separated. Oh. So I had to... I shifted my entire life 180 degrees. So when I was... 18, 19 years old, moved to Vancouver to go to Vancouver Film School, I studied screenwriting. And oddly ended up swept into what society demanded of me. Mm. And I don't want to say it that way because I still obviously very willingly went through all these steps of getting married and having kids and being overly busy and blah, 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 blah. But when the divorce started happening and co-parenting started becoming this thing that was going to be a part of my life and then having the kids have the time and... It it oddly, I literally feel like I seared my entire life 180 degrees where I always had wanted it to be. Now, financially, that has not paid off at all. <laughs> but I'm 100% okay with it in a certain sense because it was like this, this opportunity that I've never been able to kind of even consider. And being able to give myself this headspace to even consider it and live it. And like I did get my own TV show, which is a French 
a French sketch show. Can we plug it now? Can we can plug it now. Can it's you tell it's, what it's it is? called in French is called God Partage and in English would translate to shared custody. <laughs> so I was I I I was just very very pointed and very specific about uh, very specific about the fact that nobody was treating the subject matter in an absurd insanely fun way. Right. This like very thick, you know, life that a lot of people live which is um co-parenting with with an ex either when they're getting along or not getting along or whatever what the scenarios look like and in sketch comedy seemed like a really interesting way to 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 address that because mm. you can talk about all of the different types of parents all the different types of kids twins teenagers like what what all of these characters look like so i started talking about that in a very therapeutic sense like what would be a like this would be very therapeutic for so many human beings living this reality mm-hmm. to treat the subject matter in a funny way. So all of these, like the stars sort of aligned and I had this opportunity to do this and write this, which was very therapeutic to specifically what I was living in my own life. Mm-hmm. And that I think bought a level of respect for what it was that I did with my family that I hadn't gotten before, which means they paid my rent. And (laughs) um, now I'm like a year or two into that process. The show is going into production in September. And it kind of legitimized this passion that I'd had since I was 14, which means I've been screenwriting since I'm... If I've been screenwriting since I'm 24, then it means I've been doing it for 24 years. Wow. So my family was just like, oh, my God, this bitch is going to get credits on the screen. So they went from thinking I was insane to like, oh, we've known. We've known this whole time that you were going to be successful and that something was going to happen. So it was very, very strange whether or not this actually is sustained, whether or not this actually like catapults like this whole other career path for me is irrelevant. I think it was insanely validating to start doing stand up get this opportunity to write a sketch show and have my family for a millisecond go, maybe she's not insane. I mean, I am. But I mean, in the sense where there's a deliberate use of a talent and a skill set that I have and a comedic voice that I think everyone was ignoring. And that you can be like, you are someone who I look at and I go, you're going to do it all. You're gonna you're gonna write the stuff. You're gonna like like I can see you as a multi talented comedian, and those are the most successful. The people who can write and can also do stand up. You know, some people can only do one of those things. I agree, but at the same time, I think it's just the open mindedness of it. Yeah, and it's the open mindedness of being able to fail. I think most people oh, don't yeah. give themselves the ability and 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 just going, okay, you know what. I can try this and I will either succeed or I will fail. A lot of people are like, if they're not guaranteed that they will succeed, they will not even attempt. Yep. Or they fail once and they're done. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was a completely different ballgame. Do you kind of see it this as like short term, short term? Um, I don't want to say sacrifice, but you're kind of dealing with the struggles of of doing comedy and and you know like you said like the money's not amazing um these sort of sacrifices for like a long-term gain like you're putting the work in now so that the success can come 
I think that's an idealistic point of view that I obviously am hanging on to because I hope that it catapults to other opportunities, which is why I feel like I'm hustling as hard as I can for New Brunswick Comic. I can feel it through your Instagram feed that you're hustling. Yeah, but it's like I said, like it's a turnoff for a lot of people. Like I've lost, I've lost a lot of friends along the way because of it. So because you just don't have time to be friends with people or what? No, it's a very just. Um, oh, I'd love to get into this. I don't I don't like talking about women versus men and male comics versus female comics. I don't know if it's related to that at all, but like I've I've almost had dinners with friends who have done like breakup conversations with me because I like I overly post on social media. Um they don't agree with some of the jokes that I make. Like it's 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 been really interesting and I'm like, well, this is like sort of I'm trying to make this my bread and butter. I often get booked on gigs because I promote clubs. See that I put an effort in promoting my gigs. That for them means a lot. Whether that actually um, materializes or not for them is almost irrelevant. They just see an effort and a respect and like this, this like love of the game, this passion for it. And it's like I said, I, I've almost had interventions with my families where like you're kind of posting too much shit. And I'm like, well, I'm I- so triggered by this, Lynn, because I have the same thing. It's difficult out there. And it's like I said, like when you start having a page seems obnoxious. And you've yeah. probably wondered this as well. So you start and you're like, do I do a comedian page and then try to maintain it just to the page? Or do I also post it to my friends? We live in an industry, especially with stand-up comedy, where every single friggin' friend that we have in life will tell us, I'll come see your next show. You should let me know when's your next show. So then you post your next show. Will they ever show up to a show? No, No. they won't. No. They won't. No. So you post. Unless you bug. Yeah, so you post because you're just like, I'm being as friggin' vague as possible because seven, 71 of you have said that you'd come see my next show. Yet there's only 50, stick, 50 tickets for sale and it's not sold out. I don't understand. So, yeah. yeah. So there's and, like, and the line, I think, especially with stand up, it's uh, because it is such a personal art. Mm hmm. For me personally, like my, I mean, my my stories are just filled with comedy, whether I'm watching it or or sharing show posters, and it's there's the line is not very big between your personal life and your stand up life, so it's like, but I don't understand this 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 thing with judging people who post boomers. Would you fucking mute people you don't want to see stories from you fucking boomers? Sorry, this gets me really riled because I'm like, rather than judging people and sitting in negativity, just mute them. If you're sick of seeing them post, do yourself the favor and mute. It's not an unfollow. What's hilarious is they're obsessed with us still. (laughs) You know, they're watching every single one just be able to discuss it at length. Right? There's so many people that I'm like, I know you hate this. Why are you still Why are you watching, watching it? it? It's because they need to discuss it. Eglin. Because, and this is the other thing that I always think about, um, the opposite of, of hate, or the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Mm-hmm. So these people, like anyone who like is either talking shit about you or, or commenting on shitty on your things, they actually love you. Well, they care the way too are, fucking much. It's the people who are indifferent, that truly don't care, that won't care enough to go mute. 
I think 100% you're right. And that's what it is. And that's what's so fascinating because when somebody comes at you and tries to criticize some of the things that you do and they know every detail, it's like I'm pretty confident my stories and my posts worked because you're actually able to verbalize every single thing I've posted. You're not on social media. Like you don't, you don't post a lot about your personal life on there. I do. I mean, I don't, but it's because I really think my comedy life, my comedian life, and my life with my kids are very, very separate. Yeah. I um, mean, I as do. As kids come into it, that's fair. Yeah. So I do, I do joke about my kids when I'm on stage. I don't like talking about their names or anything. So there's something really, really strange about that, that respect towards my kids and knowing that they should have control over what sort of advertise on social media mm-hmm. it, it goes into a weird zone where i i that's something i don't feel i have full authority over it's something i haven't talked to them about and i don't want to and it's just a gray zone where i don't have it's they- like i said if people wanted to find a french speaking woods in moncton they could find that very quickly it freaks the fucking shit out of me oh, wow you know what i mean like it's a uh, yeah. Have they ever, have your kids ever seen your stand up or gone to a show? I've shown them bits. Yeah, yeah. I talk about certain things. My, one of my kids' teachers was at a Capitol show that I performed at and I was her favorite. And she told the whole class about me, but had never put two and two together that one of the kids in her class, that I was that kid's mom. And I talked about wanting to punch my 11 year old <laughs> in the face. So when my kid came to me and said, my teacher said she saw a show at the Capitol Theater and she really loved it. I'm like, well, if it was a French show, that means she saw me. So my kids, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, they're amazing. My 11 year old stays after school to help the teachers every day, Aww. help clean up, help set up for the next day or whatever. So I told my kid, ask her, ask her who it is she's talking about because I'm pretty sure she's talking about me, and. As soon as she told her teacher, her teacher was like, oh, my God, I didn't put two and two together. Woods. Oh, my God. Like, that was your mother. <laughs> and then I think it was really, really interesting for that that age, like a preteen 11-year-old mm. to have gotten the cool factor before the realization and the fact checking that that was her mom. Her teacher just bragged about seeing a comedy show and having really enjoyed a female comic she's like this one woman really really made me laugh and two days later she got confirmation that that was in fact me she came home and she was like yeah you're funny my mom's a star she honestly thinks i'm famous which is the saddest thing ever she has quoted the fact that i have 27 youtube subscribers That's so cute. And I'm like, I don't know how long this is going to work. I'm just not going to break the illusion. It's going to go with it. I mean, oh, wow. But, but it was a weird, it was a weird. Again, like I don't lie. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm lying. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like if I can get a cool factor badge <laughs> for a year, I'll take it. Take it. I don't think I'm lying. It must feel kind of cool too. Like for your kids to think to think what you do is cool. They do. Yeah. And it's like I said, like I don't know how long that will last, but valuing art, any sort any art, and I really do promote all of the arts as part of that. Because I didn't grow up in that environment. Like I got a federal government job and it was like you're gonna keep that government job and get the pension, you're gonna retire, it's gonna be lovely. Happy or not, 
And I do think it's important for parents to start sort of verbalizing, like even what you're doing with the podcast. Like it, it doesn't matter what's actually speaking to you, what what feels like your what your calling is. I think it's really important for more and more parents to start just sort of going like whatever is actually speaking to you and makes sense to you. Do it. Whatever what that expression is. We're not going to get a a, 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 well, a better, well-rounded society by not allowing kids to grow into this like safe environment of being able to actually explore whatever what manner it is that actually brings them any kind of fulfillment or whatever and the shaming of it like i just think it's 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 a ridiculous layer to add on to all of it like people um will will tend to say if someone's into something artsy or creative oh it's just a hobby You know, it's and it's like and then you have to like prove to them that no, 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 this is not a it's, it's very stand up is very much so like that, you know, like <laughs> like but it's I can also go the other way too. like my parents were just like, so do you get paid for these little shows? And I'm like, little God shows. Bless, God bless you. The only crime they didn't commit was calling them skits. Skits. You little, like, you you little skits. skits. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird. People need to. The people who don't need that creative expression, because I know a lot of people who are insanely fulfilled with like a bureaucratic bureaucratic type job position, it doesn't speak to them. Like it really does not make sense to them whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't. So at the end of the day, like I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. It's just oddly how quickly they're dismissing us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're yeah. driven by whether it's the money or whether it's stability stability and again some of these people actually chose these specializations degrees masters my whatever in whatever field they were interested in and then when it's not when it's not lucrative they're just like i I wouldn't i cannot they cannot compute why that would ever hit our radar if it's not paying the bills right and it's like none of none of these art forms are lucrative unless you actually especially in canada it's really hard no, in canada nobody, specifically yeah nobody's gonna overly pay us excessively to do these sort of art forms so it comes from a place of literally going i have a voice i have a point of view i would like to express it and i would like to share that with other human beings that relate and we know that it's going to fall on some ears where it's beneficial and some, some won't. won't like, some won't like it. But the ones that won't like it don't really matter. They're, they won't be traumatized by it. They won't be affected by it. It'll just roll off of the ba- their backs. But the ones that relate to it, it'll resonate. and You'll affect them. You'll affect them in a, in a, in a positive way. And they yeah. won't feel alone. And that's the art form. And that's it. Ding, 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 ding. And it feels fucking good. It's... What, the adrenaline you feel when you do well is like no other feeling. No other feeling. You know? And it's it truly can be addicting. It's addictive. I, I actually very much openly say that I think I have an addictive personality. Got a high from doing stand-up and here I am. And you haven't stopped. Absolutely. So for some background, you've been doing comedy, stand-up comedy for, did you say three years around there? Well, I started November 2017. So again, I never know if we should count COVID or not because it was such a long period of time of nothingness. I also I didn't wonder participate that. In, in any Zoom shows or whatever. So that would be what, three and a half years? Wow. And 
you said that at one point you did was it 60 shows in a year yeah i think i think it was 60 in one year might have been 59 but i was so like in new brunswick it's very difficult it's very difficult to get a lot of stage time yeah and i do french and english and trying to improve on both sides at the same time oh that must be so challenging it's it's it is. It's almost infuriating. With the amount of stage time I'm able to get in English, I'm improving a lot faster. When I get to French, every time I perform, I'm like, ah, oh, like I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm better than this. But without, without the stage time, without the muscle memory, without the extra punches and tags of development, like it's just, it feels like it's falling under par. But when I started comedy, I was only getting French mic time. So I had like a very short period of time where I was only getting French. So, so yeah, it is, it is a little bit infuriating. So now I plan my own French mics. Oh, okay. Just to be able to make sure that I don't zero out. Like I need to be able to create those, those occasions for me to be actually be able to get on stage and, and speak French. Right. What do you prefer doing? Now automatically English just because the muscle memory is there. But if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said French. Oh, wow. Because the muscle, the muscle memory was in French. Because, like, I'm able to go to St. John, Fredericton, Halifax. I'm able to go wherever for English if I need stage time. And I, like, I have complete control over which mics I sign up for. French, I really only have Moncton if I put them on, which means I'm a host, which means I'm not even getting an actual set to break out new material. I'm the host. I feel this responsibility to keep the momentum, make sure that everybody else has the opportunity. I call them deficits. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. harsh language, but if there's ever a deficit in the audience, my job is to bring them bring back, back up. up. Absolutely. So I'm not testing new material. I'm always like in charge of bringing up the audience. So I'm not re- really breaking in new material. And then there's really only other, I have Bathurst that I can go to and sometimes do a French set, but it's not enough. Mm. It's just simply not enough. And there's a lot of demand for French stand-ups. And, you know, I, I'm not the type of person who will accept an envelope or a paid gig for French unless I actually feel like I can actually deliver. So it's an area that I really want to improve and have more stage time. It's not an area where I'm able to actually test a lot of material. Right. So it's like I don't know how to create those opportunities for myself where I, I can actually have a set, not host, break new material feel like it's harmless right. to bomb yeah yeah as, yeah as a host you never want to bomb you never no. i mean i could i could be a total meanie and just be like oh i'm sorry i just did a seven minutes that didn't work at all coming up let's bring up the next guy i i can't do that um it just doesn't feel we we need to have as many people who are keeners and interested and excited about the scene and I'm not willing to sacrifice their experience for my own benefit. So for the time being, I'm just trying to build. I'm just trying to build the scene when oh it comes God. to audience members and their participation and when it comes to actual comics. I'm just trying to foster that for a minute because I'm sure, as you know, like we lost the pillar of the French comedy scene in Moncton, which was oh, right. which was Martin Sonier yes and i think a lot of people had this like knee-jerk triggered reaction where they felt i was trying to replace him oh gosh 
And that wasn't my intention at all. It's just I had quit my federal government paying job. And this was a massive area where my energy was being poured into. And now there was this big void. And I didn't know what else to do other than just fill it. Or, yeah. My intention was never to replace him. And I won't get emotional about it, but... It was this weird thing where we had already talked about me being like a a B resource so that if he was getting getting a lot of paid gigs and wasn't necessarily available, that I could sort of fill in, get the right. lineups together or whatever. And all of a sudden it was just like, like just the air sucked out of a room. So there was this like really, I think there was a, a, a very instant divide in the French Moncton, where I'm from comedy scene where some people were almost offended by how quickly I was sort of like e I still need this these these opportunities and these mics I think some people were like you shouldn't be too fast too early not your place stop trying to replace them which was mm. never ever ever my intention it was just this um I need this time I need this time. Fuck. Oh, God damn. I know. I mean, like, I obviously, like everybody else will agree. Like, there's been, we have a, there's a New Brunswick stand-up comedy board on Facebook, like a group, and there's also a French one. And on the French one, there's been a lot of like, I don't feel comfortable since Marty passed, and it's like, it's really, really difficult. And I'm like, you know, I don't, comment a lot on it because I 100% respect that I just think it's something that really really is triggering for me if people think that I was immediately like not in not grieving not mourning not feeling You're trying to like carry on his legacy not like I it, no, it's even carry on would be yeah. the wrong word but like I needed for, him. Some, for someone to put work and effort into something and then for them to die and have that not exist or die down that's not what that person would have wanted so you're not replacing you are you're just like keeping it activated yeah you know? like in my mind if he would know that everything stopped he wouldn't he wouldn't want that i don't think I, he I, would I, have I never knew him, and I again guess. like my motivation didn't come from that place but that's why i never felt guilt even though it wasn't necessarily my motivation of going, he would want me. Like, it wasn't me. He just would want the scene to keep striving. So mm -hmm. it wasn't about a me thing, like, where, like, he would want me to do this. It was just a, I need this for personal reasons. He was one of the very few, if not the only, New Brunswick comic who was doing it as a full-time job. Mm. So... I was just in that same situation where I quit. Like I was on long-term disability. I was sort of walking away from this normal nine-to-five work environment. It. I just had a lot more space. Uh, not space. I just had a lot more hinging on it. Like I just. It was the risk. Like the risk factor of me not having those mic times was was a lot bigger for me than other people. Right. It was like, uh, if I don't have this, what, what what do I do with myself? And it was part of my work on long-term disability leave was to develop my voice, sort of. It sounds stupid, but no, it was course. part of my identity work. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was like therapeutically, personal development, call it whatever you want. It was a need. And if he wasn't going to do it anymore, I couldn't have these long six-month, one-year lulls of no shows. Of course not. So I was like, here we go, I guess. And you ran with that. I just ran with it. And I, I know that there's probably some people that weren't happy about it. But at the, end of, at, at the end of the day, it didn't come from a bad place. And if anybody wants to talk to me about it, I, I may be more more than open to do that. But I think it was really, really an awkward thing to do without addressing it directly. Mm. Just kind of going, I'm going to set up an open mic. Who wants to sign up? Without directly addressing it. And I think for some people that might have resonated oddly. Like, oh, look who's sweeping in right away. Right. Trying to replace Never my intention. I didn't feel, I feel like um, too many of us spend too much time defending ourselves. If anybody has questions, they can talk to me about it. And it's not in a challenging, I would like to fight, come at me. Let's argue. Let's argue. Like the woman who's breastfeeding going, come on, fucking ask me about why my tits out. That's not what I was doing at all. I think. But I'm quite proud of myself that I actually just did it anyway because I needed it. Something we forget to do is to just open up a conversation to be like, can you help me understand your stance on this? Like, even just saying it like that, like, rather than attacking or accusing, like, we just need to, like, message people and just be like, yeah, like, can you help me understand where this is coming from? So I understand. Zeroing out the assumption. Stop us. Yeah. Zeroing out the assumption and and going, I'm going to stop the judgment. And I would like you to tell me your point of view on this, your stance, and what's what's motivating it. Yeah, I think I think that would be insanely Optimist. helpful. But I don't think, again, like you're a you're a very intelligent, eloquent person, so you're able you're able you're self aware. Mm. You're able to do that. Most people, most people don't. Not necessarily, but it's like I said at the end of the day, I did it because I needed it, mm-hmm. and I needed to just forget what other people. And you have to kind Thought of, about it. you kind of have to like flip that switch and just go, I'm zeroing in on what, what I want to do and the opinions of others is not going to stop me from doing the thing. Sort of, but also knowing nobody else was going to necessarily take over. And I also kind of have this opinion of like, sometimes, sometimes I feel like if you're complaining about something and you're not doing anything about it, it's wasted energy. You know, like, like if, if there's something that should be done and it's affecting you and you're like constantly complaining about the thing, fix it <laughs> or try to. I think you're 100% right. I think that works for like almost every single issue on this planet Earth. But I mean, easier said than done always. But oh. it's just... I think th- I just think that there's some people that are meant to fucking take action, and then there's other people who are just meant to sit back and and be passive. And well, I look deal up differently. I look up to the people who take action, like yourself, like hustlers, go getters, people who literally make shit happen. But I think, like in this specific case, like I think some people needed time to process, whereas some people wanted to just like work it out with the art form. And it's that, excuse me, there's a, like that, 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 that balance, that balance. So I think you're 100% right. Lynn, we have another segment on the show, mm-hmm. which is the rant segment. Oh, God. 
I need to rant. <laughs> Did you come with a rant? Or do you have a rant? Or could we use this rant segment to get into when the women in comedy issue, which... I think I have a whole bunch of rants. Oh my gosh. Well, let's hear them. But oh God, oh no. Am I Is allowed an... to consult my phone? Yeah, you can totally consult I'm going to look at my phone. Um, Just so everyone knows, I got a lot of likes on Instagram. Okay. Ooh, did you post something? No. <laughs> okay. So for the rant segment, do you want me to pitch you some of the things I wrote? Yes, please. And then we'll pick one to dive into. Video game generation. Signal lights. Cash only vending machines. Elevators. Bumper cars. Or not a girly girl. Not a... Well, what's the not a girly girl one? Tell me that. Okay, so um, I have a twin sister and a lot of girlfriends that can talk all day about getting nails done and nail colors and shellac versus gel nails and acrylics and i just cannot participate in these conversations so those conversations annoy you this is no it just has fucking nothing to do with me (laughs) and like i've left rooms i've taken a (laughs) shit like i've 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 repowdered my face i've reassessed my life choices and i've come out of a room and they're still talking about nails and i don't understand what is happening you don't relate at all i don't relate at all i'm like am i a woman there's no glam thing that you do that's like your thing whether that's like get your hair done makeup clothes i mean i can be glam when it comes to makeup i have a really good one about women and men saying how lucky we are that we get drinks paid for us rarely fucking happens for me i don't know about you but do you want to know, you know what the rant is yes. about that yes you have the floor do you want to get into it yeah please do okay so this gentleman very kindly sent to me said to me you're so lucky that you get drinks paid for you. And I was like, oh. And he was like, yeah, I would I would kill for that. And I was like, okay. You say you would kill for that. So let's assess. You've already made a comment that my, my, my makeup looks very natural. <laughs> um, so I put on like a $42 moisturizer from Clinique that I buy at Sephora. And then there's a whole bunch of other products that I buy from Sephora. There's a $61 um, primer that I put on. And then I put a 60 nine dollar foundation and then i what i do is i have to powder my face with like a 52 52 dollar powder and then what i do is i have two different bronzers i have one that i use under my cheekbones and only like what will be considered contour areas and that's about 55 dollars and then i have a different bronzer which is a matte bronzer because i'm getting older and that's important for my skin and then i do that at my cheekbones and i also do it under here and i do it around my eyes and i kind of do it around my face to frame my face because it adds depth or whatever and that's about 34 dollars and then what i do is i have two different blushes that i apply one has sparkles so i don't put a lot of it on but the other one is matte and one of them is 52 dollars, and the other one is about 46 dollars. and then i put those on my cheeks because that adds bronzer and then i have three different matte palettes from morphe and they're 35 dollars each and then what i do is that i i choose different colors from the different palettes and then i put all of that shit on and then i have this other one which is like i have this eyeliner and there's one that i use that's brown under the skin which is like just like an actual pencil and then i have like a gel liner that i need a fucking fucking brush for so that so so the one that goes under is like 27 dollars for the pencil and it's called whiskey which i really like and then i have this other black pencil that i use for over is the it urban decay whiskey yes yeah okay. 
I use Oberon Decay Whiskey under and then I, I use a gel that. liner from Bobbi Brown over it over it. So that was like I don't know how many dollars, but I know that the brush itself was like forty something dollars and then I do that. And then I put like three different shades of eyeshadow and then I have this like thirty two dollar eyebrow thing that I mm-hmm. put on, which I only fill in over here, but it makes my eyebrows look almost too perfect, which I like. And then I do that. And then I have this like powder that I put on, which is like another like 50 bucks. And then I put on the powder as well. And then I have this like, you know, sometimes I put on like a highlighter and that's like 50 some dollars or whatever. And if you would like to hear about the skincare, that's a whole that's other, a whole whole other, other thing. Load of that's money. even more money. So um, as a woman, I also have wedges and I have sandals and I have high heeled sandals and I have flat sandals and I have walking shoe sandals and I have uh, pumps and I have um, boots and I have high boots and over the knee boots and I have like mid length boots and I have booties and I have shooties and I have all of these things and I also wear a $50 bra every single fucking day so if you see a woman and you're looking at her and you think that she's lucky because you're buying her a 5 to $7 drink maybe even $14 I don't give a fuck she's wearing a $50 bra that you're not wearing right now so could you just shut the fuck up and buy her a drink what is this a stand up job because it should be I've only performed it at the Women of Distinction Awards for the YWCA in McDonald's. I'm like, what the fuck? You make such a great point. Holy fuck. There's so much shit on my face. (laughs) Could you just calm down and buy a drink? Like, I I would usually go into the pink razors and the IUD that cost me $430 and men don't have condoms. So I have condoms with me anyway. And then the birth control pills. And then I already shaved my legs and I paid $40 to get this waxed and this waxed and the fucking cross wax. Yeah, we do way more. Shut the fuck up. We do way more. What what do men do? Oh, my God. They look like cavemen now. Yeah. They get hairier. We need less hair. Did you ever hear my BYOB joke? No. Okay. So I get single after 14 years. I go on Tinder. Every man has a beard. And I'm told I need to have a Brazilian. If it's BYOB and it's bring your own bush, why the fuck do I need to be hairless down there? Like, I'm worried. I feel like it's, um, I feel like that is not so much a thing anymore. I feel anymore. Like, I feel like it's cool now nowadays for guys to want bush. bush. I agree. But at I the time... Like at the time, I think it was 2016 I ended up single. Oh, okay. My yeah, friends yeah. were telling me about the expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, what are you talking about? Every man on Tinder has a beard. Yes. How can they tell the difference? <laughs> Why is this investment and this human torture required of me? It, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's not fair. Being a woman is not fucking fair by any means. It's not and fair. We, we um, our bar is low. <laughs> in French, you want to hear what that what that sounds like? Yes, because it's it my favorite French? line ever. La bar est boss. La bar est boss. A boss. Does that not sound beautiful? Wait, say it again. I think that's the next name of my show. What's La it? bar est boss. Yes, that does the bar is really so low, and it's um. It's tough because when you reach a certain age, <laughs> you're like, I really, I'm trying to work on a joke with those being like, you know, like being desperate is one thing, but like, I just don't want to be paying full bills for my whole life. I really got to find someone to like sh- shack up with. And then you start thinking about your standards and you're like, well, what can I, what can I, 
<laughs> get rid of here. I think it's like, oh, it's just so funny because it's it's it can be tough to like break down like what you think is good for you or bad for you in terms of I have that. a new dream it's a long haul trucker pay half the rent fuck off you never see them yeah I think that, I, I wanted to build a joke around it but nobody laughs at it I ideally would like to not live with someone but just pay yeah half the things so you want to do the long haul truckers we need to find long haul truckers then long haul truckers but I the, think that's but, where it's at but they don't have they're not hot usually that's fine we cheat on them <laughs> <laughs> just pay the rent no, and leave when we're in open relationships oh right apologies yeah open relationships <laughs> you're gonna cheat we already know the long haul truckers cheat they've gotta be we're just gonna do it too so pay the rent fuck off yeah and then everybody does what they want everyone's happy everyone's happy and everyone has you know health care coverage yeah, it's all we really strive for. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> I do want to. So you, one of your like accolades is that you were the first woman to have mm-hmm. won the Hubcap. So let me get the it right. Hubcap comedy stand up contest. Stand up contest. Okay, they you removed won the this. name amateur. Okay, they removed the name amateur, which I actually thought was really nice and kind of them. That's nice. Because it was hovering between Pro-Am, who was actually participating was in the mix, contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think their level of awareness of who was actually participating in these contests. They opened it up to accommodate kind of everyone. Mm-hmm. Was there any requirements to enter that? You just needed like a, a set a uh, video? Requirements. You submit a video um like a two three minute video I, I i believe so that people can participate and vote yeah um to get you into it right to get you and into you the, the contest to be a finalist right um there are independent judges like it's not the actual hubcap employees they have individual judges that they actually send the clips to who look at the writing and the originality or whatever mm. audience votes um do count for a portion of it the independent panel also votes for who's going to be part of the finalists Mm -hmm. i actually ended up being finalist in french and english three years in a row wow so i did i did six contests wow so in french i placed third second third and in english i placed i was a finalist three years i placed zero zero and one place nothing nothing and one so for when it comes to the criteria, I do think that they do look for a cleaner comic. Um, the Anglophone scene, I find, is a lot cleaner. And when I say cleaner, I mean like, like I remember one year I did a whole thing about diarrhea. Nobody liked it. Like you could tell with the audience that nobody liked it. So squeaky clean. It. Yeah. In, in, in French, though, they ate it up. So there's like, this was where I was starting to learn the nuances about the tolerance level Mm. from an English versus a French perspective. But uh, the rules are pretty flexible. You just do a five to, I think it's, it might be a three to five minute set, I believe. Yeah. They try to ask for it to be as clean as possible because they want to be able to play clips on the radio. (laughs) Yeah. And, And that was about it. So you, you won. I fucking won. 
I worked my ass off. Fucking one. And like... It improved my writing very dramatically to have those experiences and to start thinking... When you're used to doing bar crowds, late night bar, bar crowds, trash, sex jokes, like when you're very often... I think using the word, the term in the gutter is quite harsh, but I was in the in the gutter a lot because that's what people were eating up at 10, 10, 30, 11 right. p.m. at night to be forced to write actually thinking about what could actually play. Because it's true, if you do have a comedy album, if you want to be on SiriusXM, like if you want to be on CBC Radio, if you want to be... It, it it can be a different tone, not necessarily 100% of the time, but it's really, really interesting to start challenging how you're writing and what you're yeah. writing about, yeah. what's making you feel something, what makes you want to say something. So when I started writing that way, I started booking corporate gigs. Right. A, a, a lot of my actual professional comedic, comedian life started at that point when I started realizing, oh, maybe I should actually be writing my jokes for more of a any age audience to appeal to a wider to appear to to appeal to a wider audience and then it was like oh okay did you know that you had it when you when you did the show like did you kind of know that you won or no not at all i wasn't 100 percent happy like when i get really really nervous i either talk too fast or my voice goes too low too high to the point where people can't understand right they actually missed the punchline just because oh, of my voice delivery, yeah, and I'd I'd fucked up a couple of deliveries. Um, I was yeah. still I was still happy because I knew I had improved, but I was quite quite surprised. Yeah, wow. And did you get flack for being a woman winning that? No. I think a lot of people knew the history, knew that it had been twenty years, knew no woman had won, and. I I honestly that night was one of the best nights I've ever had in my life. Like yes. I think people's warm reception to me and how people were congratulating me, the the specific things people were saying to me was just like so insanely validating. Like it was the warmest hug I'd ever gotten Aww. in my life. I was honestly quite like it's gonna go down as one of the best nights of my life. Like I don't even like I'm not even gonna pretend like a bunch of shit is going to eliminate that because it was such a point of validation that is so important on a comics journey and everyone rushing the stage and everyone wanting to speak to me and like seeing a lineup of people wanting Ah! to speak to me. And I think we sometimes decide or figure or assume that people would like freeze up and walk out and be upset and it being the absolute opposite of that, I think was a, an insane checkpoint where people were being very, very honest about you've worked so hard. That was the year I had done 60 open mics before that. I was like prepping for that because I was trying really, really, really hard to place. I didn't care if I won or not. I just sort of wanted to be a finalist, improve myself because not placing, not placing for two years in a row, whether I wanted to admit it to myself or not. I really wanted to improve. You used it as fuel. I did. It became fuel to to get better. One hundred percent. And I think if it, if it's, if comedy's not going to do that to you, it's not speaking to you in the way in 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 the way that it should. Gosh, I so agree. 
So that night was major. And to, yeah, like have Nikki Payne, who I'd taken the comedy girl stand-up class with her, rush the stage and actually be proud. Like she wanted to take the picture with me and be like, she's one of mine. Like all of those things were so validating. Yeah. Because it was like, you're kind of just doing this weird art form where it's like, yeah, you're getting laughs, but is it, is it capital worthy? Like at, at the Monk, like this huge Moncton theater, like maybe not like, you know, like sometimes mm. a laugh is a good laugh, but is it, it's not comedy album worthy. It's like that, that level of awareness of like, where does this joke fit? What's its actual value? Mm. Is mm-hmm. this timeless? Is this a comedy album joke? Is this a gala joke? Is that is just, is this just for laughs jokes? Maybe is this just funny because it's 11, 10 p.m. and everybody has the giggles? But like having Nikki come rush the stage, Elvira Kurt rush the stage. It was the first time I ever met her. And she's like, that was great. And I was like, yes, Elvira Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> I you. clearly know who you are. Talk to me <laughs> as much as possible, please. <sighs> so uh, it's like I said, like I would have been happy for any woman to win. Yeah. Like I really admire Emma Mater. Mm-hmm. Um, Shan was there, who's been a pillar of New Brunswick comedy for a long time. When I heard, because they did talk about the winner, then they said she. <laughs> and I was like, we fucking did it. A fucking woman won. And I honestly didn't care if it was me or not. So, <laughs> fucking hate the stereotypical question about, like, what do you think the challenges are in this field? But, like, I think we, <laughs> I think we both know the challenges. <laughs> But um, specifically shows and mm-hmm. diversity on shows, whether that's women, you know, different sexualities. Why is it so important? It's important because we don't get to decide their comfort level or not. We don't get to decide When and where and how open these people feel like being when they're ready is a major part of it. Um, I used to um, contact comics individually before I was shaping a show, before I was creating a lineup and realizing that I was maybe harassing these people who might not have been in a situation or in a, in a ready, like in in the zone to be actually 100% ready to be able to go and present a set mm. and realizing that I was, was maybe adding to their whatever life was at the time, mm. especially during COVID or like right after COVID, like this entire process has been so difficult for every person individually. So I do think it's very important that we carve out and actually very explicitly and very specifically carve out these opportunities for these voices and I talk a lot about the very specific wording that I use when I do call-outs for comics, which is priority spots will be given to. Mm. Because I think there's also this very, very funny, interesting, it's such a simple fact. Not everybody's glued to their phone all the time. Whether their job allows them to do that, whether their personal life allows them to do that, it doesn't matter. But if there's a call out for a mic or for stage time, because if it's a show, we usually do individually contact the comics that we're trying to actually create a lineup for, like who's complimentary or who will actually create the dynamic lineup that it is we're looking for. But if I'm doing an open mic and I do a call out and I pointed this out 
to a comic recently. If I don't do, priority spots will be given to. If you look, I had 12 straight white dudes <laughs> saying me first. Now, a normal person will know that 12 spots means my mic's probably full. But by using the wording priority, I'm getting a lot of marginalized persons writing to me in private going, hey, would it be possible if yeah. I wanted to do a spot? So that's for the time being. I'm not saying it's an ideal system. For the time being, works for me the best. Amazing. And when I do have a representative lineup, we get the most is participative a word yeah the audience is insanely into it they're present they're excited or they're whatever seeing different things they're seeing different things they're hearing different things they're relating to things in a different way they're hearing different point of views it's so beneficial for every single fucking person involved mm -hmm. that's also being like you know that i was actually hosting most of my shows in a gay bar mm -hmm. so my focus was giving that audience yeah. a show that they would actually crave and enjoy um, but yeah, I do think if we don't start doing that and very explicitly stating that we're carving out priority spots, priority spots, that doesn't mean you're not going to get one if you're straight. Yeah. It just means that you are, you might wait a month or two, but you'll get, you'll get there. You'll get there. I just feel like this is a tricky subject, but we often do the bare minimum. And not go just slightly above that. And I think the idea of like what you said about, you know, open calls and how not everyone is glued to their phone. A lot of, let's just use the example of women. A lot of women are doing a lot of work in their lives, whether that's working full time, managing children, managing domestic things in the house. They're more than likely not glued to their phone 24-7. And you seen, this is a really male-heavy lineup. I'm going to message so-and-so who I know might be down. I'm going to message, I'm going to send, literally, it's sending a message. Mm -hmm. That's just something so small that I think bookers could do that would really, really help a lineup, even if it is just an open mic lineup. I agree. It's weird how there's a there's a beer, very big disparity between some people who understand the the purpose and the motivation behind it and yeah. some of them who don't some of them who don't. Some people are like, "Why didn't you reach out to people before and then only post how many spots were available for like the straight white dude?" I'm like, "Again, I've had in the past some people doing soft coming outs to me in private to try to get a spot and I was like, "This isn't right either." Mm. for people to be put in this situation to go i'd like to be considered for a spot so i'm gonna have to tell lynn woods mm. my personal situation in life my sexual orientation so that i can get on my so that i can get on a show so see so that right there like, i had to be so vulnerable and go i have to be honest that the only way i can manage this is by saying priority spots i don't know how else to actually necessarily approach it and it's like the system is not flawless, but by having an open mind and being very openly open-minded is the best that I can actually offer at this time. Because messaging people in private, not getting a response, 
not wanting to to ask again, feeling like you're the one pressuring, feeling like you're the one harassing. Mm-hmm. These people don't deserve that either. So it was like, okay, I really want this trans person on my show. I really want this queer person on my show. I really want this woman on my show. I really want... At some point, I was realizing that I was just... I'm not a hobbyist. Like, I'm like all in. And I think there was this like level of explanation or these people feeling like they needed to defend their themselves to me that they didn't want to, they weren't available, they were too busy, they were overwhelmed. And at the end of the day, that was never the intent. Being like, I know, thank you is like more than fine. But I did not like individually contacting people right and then making them feel like they needed to manage my expectations or explaining themselves yeah yeah, especially during and after a pandemic so i was like i'm not doing that anymore so now it's just an open call i phrase it that way open call yeah and then whatever happens happens after Mm -hmm. that and i've been very open about i know the system isn't flawless Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day for now this is the best i can do i do think that like too many bookers (laughs) don't think of the audience they're thinking of themselves yeah, that's a hot take, and it's gonna get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do, think you're right. I do think that if you have, if males are the ones answering open calls right away, we have to look into why those other voices aren't, and maybe recognizing that there's reasons behind that, and they might need a little more of a nudge than other people. Yeah, I firmly believe that because I think as soon as you start fostering these voices. As soon as you put them on an open mic show and they come back for the other another one or they start doing more, they will become more active in the scene. They will yes. become more um, aggressive or, you know, they will answer open calls. But there's reasons why they don't. And like from what I've heard and I've talked to a lot, it's like, I don't feel comfortable on this show because I don't see anyone else on there like me. Yeah. And it's the same reason a lot of females don't get into stand-up because they go to comedy shows, they see all men, and they're like, how the fuck do I get into this? Who do I talk to? Yeah. I've had a lot of women tell me, like, are you going to be on the next show? Because if you are, I'll sign up. So those subtle things, like, I think you're a little bit like me. I don't think it would bother you at all if you were the only woman on on an all-male lineup. There are some women where it will not affect their interest level or their ability to sign up there are some that it does and but the I've, thing- I've 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 openly told women like if women if ever that's an issue for you contact me yeah. i would rather go and partner up and go okay we're gonna go into this show open mic whatever what what the fuck it is as a united front and give you the security if this is what you feel will help you in your development or your or your journey mm-hmm. um I don't ask why. I don't ask why, but I also know that there are a thousand plus, 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 plus valid reasons why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, whatever. If if this is what makes you feel more comfortable to go on stage and do your set, do your material, feel comfortable, feel confident, whatever, what the fuck that looks like. Because hopefully it won't be I'll forever. I'll take the bullet with you. Hopefully it won't be forever. And hopefully, the like, I, I do think in stand-up, resilience is so important. And having that tough skin and, you know, being okay, being the only woman on and, and stuff like that. But I do truly think that, you know, a lot of... And I'm very different because I was friends with all these guys before I 
signed up. You were. So like very different from me versus say a woman who's, I think I'm funny, but I'm not sure. And so I'm going to go to this open mic and they don't see women or they only see one woman and, and, and they feel weird entering the scene. There's a barrier to entry. There just is. And I, I truly think if you don't see that, you're probably a man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if but you I think that's the thing the, is the ch- and and the thing is too is is like and not only like just this the diversity on shows, but um just the challenges with how women comics are perceived is really psychologically taxing sometimes for me personally. Anyway, I don't know about you. Do you do you let that stuff get to you where you go? I have to be a certain way to make the guys in the crowd comfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is something that I talk about a lot, especially because of what I call the toxic male. A lot of men think that that's automatically them. Like, they really have a tough time deciphering what's a toxic male and what's not a toxic male. Mm -hmm. They just think that being a male is toxic. They don't, they don't, they don't understand how the two words relate to each other. So I do say that I build a lot lot of my material towards trying to buy the toxic male's ear which is by appearing stupid (laughs) or what i call subtly feminist yeah because so boxy all men suck will never buy their ear it's true so like when i talk about orange vests when i talk about chevrolet when i talk about like uh, the dangers of me not being allowed to walk alone at night or whatever is done in a very, very almost blase. I'm not even really talking about this way. Mm. It's very in passing to get to my punchline. I don't put a lot of emphasis on it. I do, but I don't. It feels like, okay, where is she going with this? It doesn't feel very threatening. My life is fucking horrible because I'm not allowed to walk to my vehicle late at night and feel safe. Right. Um, I really work hard in trying to make that seem like it's just like where is the silly woman going with this Mm. um so it is a major part of how it is that i approach jokes because i do think if we turn off the male the toxic male's ear we're not getting ahead interesting so that is a big part of how i try to approach certain jokes um i mean i have a whole a whole set on just harassment that I've performed a bunch of times where I name names, but it's not the real names. So if the actual men are in the audience, they, they feel relief. They feel relief that I don't actually name them. If there are actual males in the audience that would have thought to harass me online, they are like, oh no, she names them. And it's like, right. I used to do these things and it actually worked and it cut my harassment down to almost zero. I used to have eight to 10 online harassments per show. And it cut it down right away. Wait, what do you mean harass? Like, what do you well, mean? Like, um, Hackles? a lot, a lot of, no, like online people oh. would track down my page or my Facebook or my Instagram and would tell me like a hotel room and like come suck my dick or something. Or I live at this address, ring the doorbell. Or one of them had taken pictures of me on stage and he was like these are photos of you it was difficult to find one with your mouth open one would be like you don't have to talk or be funny you just need to bend over and everyone's happy like it would be like these types of like really weird messages which are not great to receive after a show of course not so i used to i i had an entire set where i would talk about all of them <laughs> i love it 
And, you know, like the the dick pic, do you want a dick pic? One of them sent me, I can show you. One of them sent me a painting that he made of a unicorn with a massive erect penis with an eight pack smoking a joint. Like an actual unicorn painting with another unicorn with a purple pussy and a star-shaped asshole. And I... Every comic that I knew at the time had that as their wallpaper on their phone. Oh, my God. And I was just like, why? Like, why? Why would you send me this? Mm-hmm. And I remember talking about it on stage because I would make a joke about it where I would say, like, it's not like guys like send me like a pan painting that they made like acrylic on whatever where it's like a dude, like a, a unicorn. smoke. And I would explain the entire painting and then I would say not more than once. <laughs> oh my god and then i got to the bar and this chick was like do you mean and she named him oh my god and i was like you know you're in mountain when when like, i know the painting that's my cousin's ex and i was just like what the fuck like it was just the fucking funniest oh my gosh but that cut it down immediately because moncton is such a small scene it's almost like the word spread or something that's wow that's madness. So you, you've learned to adjust how you say certain jokes that has de- like decreased that. That's fascinating to me. Adjust certain jokes also when I get message requests. You know, we were talking about after a show, like the vulnerability. Yeah. I'm not allowed to check message requests or anything right the night show. after a show. And I will have a third party look at them before. Because some people were like, change your name on Facebook, which I did. I changed my name on Facebook so it wasn't my actual name. People couldn't necessarily find me. But then bookers would try to find. Like I was actually missing out on gigs. because of- So now I have a third party look at message requests, messages, determine if it's something I should ever see or not. I love that. And, and, and then kind of sort of filter. Have you ever had like an infuriating moment where someone judged you? Because of being a woman in common. Like, like I I seriously had such a crazy moment doing my first club guest spot at the Comedy Cove where I have dirty jokes. I did them. And I opened dirty. And I didn't do good. And a woman came up to myself. And Travis was the headliner. Travis Lindsay. And um, Todd Gracie, who's a, a, another male comic. And it was hosted by a male. So I was the only female on the show. Um, and it was the guest spot. So it was after the host that I went up. And um, women came up and complimented both men. And then turned to me and said, it's tough to be a woman. <laughs> and it sticks with me. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Because she was essentially saying like you were screwed by the moment you walked on stage like you weren't set up to do to like to do well at all and like okay so i'll 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 say a couple things here so yes please i took the comedy girl class with nikki payne nikki payne was very 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 brutally honest with her exercises and how she got us to develop. And one of the things that she would say was, a lot of people are waiting for a woman's name to know that it's time to head to the washroom. Yeah. So she was like, you need to have a joke. Get them right away. So fast when you get to the mic. She would actually would have us do drills like it was the fucking Olympics 
where she would wrap the mic cord around the mic stand. And while us other classmates, students would be clapping, welcome, whatever name. You had to run to the stage, sprint, get the fucking mic out of the fucking stand and the mic out of the way so fast and a joke out that nobody had time to get up. Nobody had time to get up. So that was a level of awareness Hmm. of something that Nikki has lived with her her years and years and years of experience and her legendary status that it's like, I think, I think what you're living and what you're learning just by fucking living it, I got these checkpoints and these security blankets of like, these things might happen. Whereas you're just living them. I'm just, I'm learning by, I'm learning by by doing. Yeah. You're learning by doing. That's, I, I I find it really hard for me to talk with these subjects because I, I don't, I just feel like it's such a challenge and I never wanted to be a comic that was only funny to women. I always want to make the guys laugh and I always would feel better if I knew men were laughing in the crowd because I would feel like women, I got them. We're good. But like, I want to crack these men. I want I want these jokes that are about my experiences as a woman um, to be funny for men. And I mean, I'm, I'm still I'm still learning, but it's just challenging because then i go but why does it why i should just be me <laughs> no but at the end and of the I, day you know sarah how many jerk off jokes have you laughed at many. i know right many Women laugh at tons many because we've been forced to men all of a sudden are faced with subjects that they've never had to try to relate to we've had to try to relate to jerk off jokes our entire fucking lives to the yeah. point where it's second nature we've had to actually go okay i'm putting myself in his shoes I get it. I know what this is like. Men are just like, I don't want to go there, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't want to yeah, yeah. go there, though. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. not necessarily an us thing. That's a them thing. And it's like I've said in the past. Um, I've had women refuse to come to stand up shows if they only see me on the lineup. And they've told me that I saw only one woman on the lineup and I refused to go to the show. OK, mm-hmm. great. Well, that means, you know, less women were there, less women laughed, which means I appeared less funny than the guys, perhaps. Right. Now, this is all just speculation. It can always vary and it can always differ. But at the end of the day, the audience and the comics need to sort of come together and band together if we want to improve the actual amplification of marginalized voices, whether that be m- women, queer comics, trans- like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I yeah. am. So yeah. at the end of the day, what you're saying isn't wrong. What's weird is the fact that we actually are doubting our material mm-hmm. because we've been laughing at jerk off jokes for fucking years. Yeah. It's infuriating that yeah. these men are like, this isn't relatable to me. I used to make a masturbation joke that I was told to never make again. Why? Why am I not allowed to talk about masturbation on stage? I 100% am. I wasn't saying anything wrong, but it's like these men are getting these feelings that they've never felt before. They don't know what to do with them. So the instinct is to shut me up. And it's like, again, like if you put it in context, you should have been hearing women talking about masturbation. If it's e- if it's supposed to equate to what we've been hearing about jerking off. Yeah. Holy fuck. You got 40 years of material to catch up on. 
but they're, they're just not used to that. Men are not used to thinking about the female experience. And I'm generalizing, of course. But yeah, it's a general, it, it for sure is a generalization, but it, I think it's an accurate one because I think it is the majority. Yeah. And you said something in the cab on the way over here, which was like, you know, going back to the woman who wouldn't go to a show with only one woman. She's not making that any easier for mm-hmm. that woman mm-hmm. to go, oh, like, maybe I'm just, like, not funny. But also it's like, you know, if you're a male, wouldn't you want more people at your show? And that's Period. a whole demographic that's saying, I don't want to go because there's no women or there's only one woman. So it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like it benefits everybody. And if guys aren't seeing the issue, they're a guy. You know what I mean? Like, like there's an issue. There's for well, sure they've an had, issue. They've had this security blanket for so long. Like at the same time, yeah. it's like I, I understand everyone's journey, point of view, or whatever. But it's like at the same time, I think we are much more patient. We put in a lot more effort to try to relate to their content than a and lot of these guys and they're the verbal guys it's like the squeaky wheel gets the oil we hear a lot of the guys who aren't able to relate a lot of the good guys who are able to relate are like oh my god yay it's not a sausage fest we have a woman on the show she's talking about different things this is going to be great this is going to be great for the audience it's going to be great for participation participation more yeah. you know these guys we're not really hearing a lot about because yeah. they're not butthurt about it so it's weird for the female experience because the people who are, who tend to run to us and the people who try to shut us up are the ones who feel, I hate using the word threatened because I don't think that's an accurate word. I think it's just it's like, yeah, this inability to relate. And they're yeah. like, oh, you forgot to make this relatable for me. It's like, well, this wasn't really about you. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't really about you. You were supposed to actually just try to imagine what that experience was like. But you would like me to change the content completely. So mm-hmm. that it would actually relate personally to, to you, you. as opposed to actually having some empathy for a, for a millisecond and figuring out what that might be like for me. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Um, it, it, I feel like a lot of people lean on the, well, I just, I just want funny. So if you're not funny, it doesn't matter what your sex is. And I go, that's fair. But. I got to see you actually listening to female comics sets because I, I got to be honest. I look a lot of the times they're on their phone. They're going for bathroom breaks, smoke breaks. And can you just listen? Just listen. <laughs> just fucking listen. And yeah, you're going to hear vaginas, periods. That Like you might hear that stuff. But I just don't think you should make a judgment call on how funny someone is. If you're not actually listening and you're not watching the crowd respond to them, you know, you're not actually giving that person a chance because you're prejudging. It's just really it just it makes me very angry. <laughs> yeah, I had I had I had one person once try to tell me, you know, you should make your your material more relatable to everyone, like not yeah. just women. We've like all heard men. it. Most and women it, have heard this. Yeah. And it was a very, you know. It was a set, like I know exactly what he was sort of talking about. I remember I remember the jokes that I said that night. But there were six women in line waiting to speak to me after him. Yeah. And I, and that's a very um, validating 
thing yes. to have audience members want to connect with you and want to speak to you after a show. And yeah. I feel like saying, you can say whatever the fuck you want. There are literally six women behind you who can't fucking wait to talk to me because I finally said something that they connected with, which is what motivated me to get on the com- like on the scene in the first place. So it's like, you can talk to me all day about how you didn't appreciate the material. It has zero value. Yeah. These well, six women, you? these six women and every single one, I used to have this joke and I don't know if you've ever heard it. It was about wanting to take a shit after a first date. <laughs> Do you remember that one? I you think so. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. These six women were like, holy fucking shit. And I was like, I've lived that. And I didn't realize yes. how we don't even talk about that between girlfriends. Yeah. I would never call a girlfriend and be like, oh my God, he was at my place till 2 p.m. in the afternoon and I really needed to take a shit and he just wouldn't fucking leave. We feel so much shame about that that we don't even talk about it openly amongst our friends and i didn't and i'm not saying that's experience for everyone else but having these six women want to talk to me about that joke specifically speaks i was like i'm doing fucking something right i don't give a shit if the booker this was technically the booker who was saying he was not really happy with my writing and it was like i understand what you're saying i understand that that has value you mean have jokes that are relatable to every human yeah but look at these six women that had the best time fucking ever and, and they're gonna stood there and waited in line they didn't change their minds they didn't like a meet get... and greet i'm doing something <sighs> yeah and, and I, people people have to separate their personal um what kind of company they like personally and look at someone as what are they doing what are they doing for aud- the audience? Yeah, like filling the business void. It's like it's yes. like business class. It's like yeah. I was seeing in Moncton, especially on the French side, no women. Like when it comes to actually anglophone, f- like female comics, if you want to look at it that way, there was a lot more. Right on the French side, every French female comic had already moved to Montreal. It was making a life in Montreal doing it. But when it came to actually like the local scene. I went to two open mics and it was eight guys both times. And I was like, where are the women? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, if it has to be me, it'll be me. And he gave me this really weird security blanket where I was like, if I'm a woman up there, at least I'm talking about something else than what these guys are talking about. And it oddly, it oddly gave me the sense of purpose, which made me forget stage fright, anxiety, nerves public speaking fear i've never done a public like a an oral presentation in school ever wow so everyone who was hearing i was doing stand-up was like what the fuck she couldn't even fucking do a presentation at school ever my god i'd done a play or two in high school so like by that point i think is when i figured out that it wasn't the end of the world right 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 but uh that's what gave me my security blanket was like being like there's no women up there and there, there needs to be this other voice than just dudes and again like when it came to the english side i think that's where i found my my people like i in in the sense like i have a lot of very close male comic friends and i have a lot of very close female comic friends and they all sort of they all have value yes yeah yeah yeah, absolutely but on the english side when it came to like if you actually wanted to have a representative lineup and Mm. you wanted to make sure you didn't have all men French versus English is a totally different ball game. It's a oh very, gosh, it's, it's, a, it's very, it's a lot easier to do an English lineup and make sure that there's representation than French. So a lot of my motivation come, came from the French side, but yeah. a lot of my experience and my camaraderie and 
conversations about comedy and interests and 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 development came from the English side. Wow. What advice would you give to a woman looking to get into stand up? This crazy thing that we do. Um, I'm going to put the camera on you and I'm going to grab water, but you go. Oh my God. It's all about me. Sarah's leaving. Okay. So honestly, I think the most important thing ever is to remember that every point is a valid point. Every human, every experience is valid. And so we tend to doubt ourselves a lot when it came, when it comes to our actual premises and our actual point of view. And that's not an automatic, that's a generalization again, but I think your experience, your feelings, your emotions, your perspective, your point of view is 100% valid. Whatever that is, is authentic. Um, the important thing is to actually keep a pulse on what your emotion is related to those things. If you're frustrated, if you're terrified, if you're whatever, because all of that is actually where comedy comes into play. What makes a joke or content relatable is the emotion, not necessarily the actual content. If they can relate to your frustration, the embarrassment, the humiliation, whatever what that is, the emotion is what makes the content relatable. And everybody can get on board with a, with an emotion, whether they've been there or not. How did if you they feel? feel yeah. If they feel your frustration or your anger or whatever, they're on board with you 100%. And that is the quickest way to get, um, I don't know. What Someone to relate to you. Yeah, it's, it's relatability based. And also, I really, really, really like to tell comics, everyone's been forced to listen to a Britney Spears from beginning, a Britney Spears song from beginning to end when they didn't really feel like it. So whatever you do up on that stage, will be better than that. <laughs> like, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, they don't remember you. You go to open mic, you do a five minute, they don't remember you. Mm-hmm. And... Every single comic has an amazing story of a night that they bombed. If you <laughs> bomb so hard that it becomes storytelling worthy, then you have a that story. That fucking shit is hilarious. That is yes. a badge of honor. It will be funny. Will it be two months from now or two years from now? That's to be determined. It's also character building. It's character building and 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 you get that nugget. Because at the end of the day, I remember telling some... I, I mean, I've said this a bunch of times now, but when is the last time you bombed? And I would go, I don't see a bomb as a bomb because it's a learning experience. It's an attitude Mm. thing. I always book myself for the next gig before I get on because it shifted my attitude from I failed, I'm horrible, I'm not funny to what must I fix before the 31st? Like that's my next gig. Because it's booked. It's It's booked. booked. That's actually a great... It shifts my attitude. It's a great idea to to force yourself to go... I will change something by this date. By this date. So it makes it very directional. I really like that. As opposed to sitting with this like, ooh, that didn't go as well as I thought. I forgot that punch. I forgot that tag. I stumbled on my words. I go, okay, what do I need to fix before the 31st? So I've always done that. Which is why and I then think you, even if you I've just been do this a little weird bit cycle. better. Even if you just do a little bit better the next time, that's a good thing. Exactly, but even not, even if you don't, it's Another all part of the friggin' journey. Uh-huh. So that was a big, big, big part of my process was me really self-controlling my own anxiety yeah. and how I was coping after shows and 
directing it in in a way that I felt was more positive. Um, but yeah, when it comes to women, men have bad crowds. They don't have bad sets. And I think women tend to really knee-jerk to, this isn't for me. And that's really disappointing. Like, I have, I'm very, I honestly consider myself, I'm not 100% tops when it comes to my own mental health. But I have a lot of women contact me when they consider quitting. And I have no problem reminding them that's part of the journey. Nobody deserves to go in an interview one day and go, tell us about a time you bombed. (laughs) Well, honestly, I've never said a joke that hasn't fucking killed. Like, who deserves that comedian experience? Nobody. It's par for the course. There's ups and there's downs and there's peaks and there's valleys. So when you go out there, yeah, you're coming out swinging. You want to have the best fucking set possible. It might work. It might not. And at the end of the day, I hate using this word, but... Do they want to shut women up? A lot of people do. Are you going to shut the fuck up? Or are you just going to keep fucking swinging? Mm. Was it a bad set? Was it a bad crowd? I don't give a fuck. Tell yourself what you need to tell yourself. Get to work. Roll up your fucking sleeves and go again. People really want to shut women up. And at the end of the day, it's not a fun... It's not a fun thing to feel when you're not loved and you're not adored and you're not yeah because we've all we've all had it and i'm sure you've had it but uh, i say like there's a honeymoon phase with comedy when you start Mm -hmm. because you're on that adrenaline people are laughing at you feels great it fills you with feel good feelings and then you have your first bad set and there's this instant crash and godlin i've wanted to quit comedy at least five times yeah and and i've only i'm not even a year in yet yeah i have too and it's just like, it's just such a difficult thing to manage because you're right. You We do instantly go to, oh, like maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Yeah. And I challenge people. I'm like, go on Twitter. Look at Jen Kirkman. Look at Lori Kilmartin. Look at Nikki Glaser. Look yeah. look at Deborah DiGiovanni. Look at Nikki. Like, look at whoever it is you're looking up to. It's never easy as a female comic. It just isn't. It doesn't get easier with any type of level of fame. The no. level of respect that we get will vary. <laughs> so at the end of the day, are you going to shut the fuck up or are you going to roll up your fucking sleeves and get to work? Because at ah. the end of the day, Lynn, you're so, ah, yes. And, and what, exactly what you said about the level, level of success. It's wild to me when we, you know, I'll hear things every now and then going like, Look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. I still follow tons of female comics and see the show posters they share where they're the only female. Mm -hmm. And these are women who are, I would say, like in the top 0.5% of famous comedians. You know what I mean? Famous female comedians. Like they're the, they're the Amy Schumers, the Nikki Glazers, the Sarah, like they're the top of the top and they're still the only woman on the lineup. Mm -hmm. And it's this we have to work almost twice as hard to get half as far kind of thing. 100%. And it's, uh, but, but you're right. It's a choice. Are you going to work or not? And I mean, I don't know. It's just, you have to expect it. You have to just expect it and just roll with it. And just at the end of the day, it's, yeah. Like, I think for me, the booking, the next date, it sounds really minimal, but it takes care of a lot of my, 
negative emotions related to my good set, bad set, successes and failures. It manages a lot of those pieces in that one. Such a good idea. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that for years now and it seems to work really well. Um, but I do agree. Like some people want to shut women up and I'm like, people will talk all the time about you in good ways and bad ways. At the end of the day, does it really, 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 really matter? Because when you get on stage, the audience hears your jokes. They don't hear what everybody else had to say in private conversations or whatever. There's another comic, big fan. Um, I've talked about Julien Dion and, and Jenny Grant before. Julien Dion often says be undeniable. Our yeah. job is to be undeniable. Undeniably funny is the line, right? Your job is to be undeniable. I don't care what she said, what he's doing, what she's doing, what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck. Be funny. Your job is to go on stage and be undeniable. Yeah. So when you're looking at your writing, if you park literally everything else, I don't care if it's politics, I don't care if it's stage time, I don't care. I don't care. If you're just looking at, are my jokes undeniably funny? And you just zero in on that. At the end of the day, that technically is our job. If people walk out of that comedy club, bar, whatever, what venue that was, community center, I don't care, the Legion, if they're like, that person is undeniably funny, that's our job. And if you hyper-focus on that piece without all of the emotions, friendships, ego, drama, ego, whatever that can maybe come into it, our actual job is that. And even though we're humans, like, it's really, really difficult to block all that out. I often tell myself, be undeniable. Like, that's what I told myself yesterday. That's what I tell, told myself tonight. Do you feel a like there's a, a scarcity complex in terms of, like, you almost feel more competitive with females because there's this complex of there's not as many spots for us? Not even. I think... Like, I've even had people comment, like, why are you helping these women comics? Like, or don't you feel in competition with them? And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just I something that we've been made to don't. feel. Yeah. We've been made to feel that way. Made to feel that way. And I think people almost seem to want to relish the idea that we're being dramatic about this shit. But it's really not that way. Right. Like, my, I remember my sister when I told her, like, when she saw the poster, I think. For the for the yucky yucks, I was the only woman on the poster. Yeah, but both nights there was a woman guest spot. Yeah, which was amazing. But my sister was like, "Does that fuck with your shit?" No. And I was like, "No." And just like I told you in the washroom before, I'm just gonna really pay attention to what you're saying because it's a it's a really grave error. Like there there there's a security blanket of very often being this the, the only female comic where I don't even have to worry about it because I know none of the guys are gonna talk about the shit I'm gonna talk about. <laughs> there's a security blanket. There is a bit, I, uh, yeah. which is strange. You wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't think about it that way initially, but once you've been the the only woman on so many times, you go, "I'm unique." Yeah, and they're seeing something unique now. With and me. that's when a lot of the twin stuff ended up being written. Like I, I would like yeah. notice where I was like, "Oh no!" Like where am I going to go now? Yeah, yeah. So now when there's another female comic, I just make sure I'm paying attention. I've been at a gig where I've seen two comics at a theater, sold out theater, talking about the exact same same thing back to back. Fuck. And that's very cringy. So it's like, you know, some of us go to comedy shows and I think you've been in this mode for much longer than most people. 
you're actually paying attention to those types of situations in those moments and trying to have that awareness and making sure that we're not duplicating these errors. So I now know when there's another female comic to really pay attention to make sure that I'm not going on and saying the exact same things almost almost verbatim or whatever. Even if it can be complimentary that it's not plagiarism, like it's like need to be careful. So I really, really, really enjoyed listening. I guess Friday was Adrian Gabriel and then tonight was you really listening to what you guys were talking about and making sure that I wasn't overlapping yeah, or copying so and that cool. I was being complimentary. Yeah. yeah. But I had made that mistake before where I think it was on a lineup where it was we were six women total and I think I was the last one. It was insanely that stressful. That would be so hard. It was really stressful because I had my little notebook and I think I was being filmed that night. Long story. And I was sort of like every single time a woman was going on. And that's when my twin stuff ended up being sort of solidified because it was the only stuff I could really bank that nobody was going to Well, yeah, on. And that's a great point about writing specifically to your life so that no one can take it. Yeah, but I been the only woman for so long i felt like such a tar like such a fucktard like i just showed up like oh, no, no, it's gonna be the best and then i was like six women and you're going well like a, i think it was a 13 person lineup mm. <laughs> i was like oh my Love god those. i was like oh my god we've never been this was on the french side like we've never been six women again and i just remember like every time a woman would go on like it was like i have cramps like what are you going to talk about oh um but I realized at that point, this sounds really silly, but I really like talking about this, the straight white man experience and their writing process. And sometimes that maybe that's why they seem to progress faster than we do because they have that pressure all the time. It was like this really odd moment oh, where I was like, yeah. do straight white guys have this all the time? Because there's so many of them all the time. Oh my fucking God. Like I still remember being in that room trying to hyper-focus on the fact I was being filmed and going, do yeah, like what is this pressure that they have? And is that what's actually propelling this like unique writing? Because that night I wrote some amazing jokes before I even went on stage and I was not prepared to necessarily deliver them. And I still make those jokes to this day. So is this, is this how we improve faster? Yeah. It's like by creating these like challenging situations where, you know, if it's all female lineups or whatever, some people don't like those, but I fucking adore them. I don't think there's any issue with them. It's not offensive to me. I think women do better on all women lineups. And it's unfortunate that I'm saying that. But like, I think when there's an awesome, amazing ladies night, it's the camaraderie that we feel together that like makes, brings us our A game in a weird way. I like, I've seen... I've seen like women, like ladies' nights, be like everyone did amazing, and there was no like in my experience. I've seen some amazing ladies' nights. I think you're one hundred percent right, but it's because there's also that huge security blanket and that vetting of like every single audience member knew what they were in for, and they were to, they were like one hundred percent take my fucking money. I want to hear some fucking female comics sing some fucking jokes tonight. Which is why I'd love to see more shows that were not necessarily ladies' nights, but more skewed, like, say, 60% women. Like, I, I would just love to see that because, you know, a lot of shows, it's one, two, three. Mm-hmm. But it's never, like, like four, four women, three men. 
Like, you don't see that a lot, I find, personally, here in Halifax, anyway. I'm only speaking to Halifax, because this is where I am. But, like, it would be fascinating to have a show like that. Or, like, I've always had this idea for a show where I, where it's, it's it's all women and one non-woman. <laughs> nice. Like, just so they can kind of feel what it's like to be the one, one. offshoot. I have a joke where I want to do like a straight white man show at a gay bar, but they have to do self-deprecation. But then I have a panel of queer judges that can rebut and rebuttal. And it's like, I I just, because I only had access to that Pink Flamingos bar in Moncton for for shows for a while, a lot of straight white men were really upset that they weren't being put on the lineup. And I'm like, it's... It's really complicated to explain to someone who's clearly not understanding the importance and the value and the prioritization of target audiences. Yeah. You know, the the reasonable ones already understand. Yeah. And there's no explanation to be, yeah, needed. So I found that really difficult. And I had this like fantasy. I was like, would it, would it not be fun? Like there's a drag queen in Moncton named Rose Beef. Oh my God. And I liked calling her Roast Master, Roast Beef, like Roast. Yes, do a ro- a and roast roast I love this idea of being able to do something like that and to force men to self-reflect and do self-deprecation humor for a minute. Yeah. There was something interesting about that. And some some men, I talked to them about it and they were like, oh my fuck God, that sounds like a really fun challenge. I would really love to do it. It's like an odd version of a roast. Like it's not a roast, but it's like being open-minded to perhaps being roasted by the panel while still actually doing self-deprecation jokes and i haven't i haven't done it yet and because it just hasn't hit that level of priority yet right we were so so starved for stage time that it just wasn't necessarily time for that so i haven't done it but i'm still talking to people about it because i still think it would have value to force the writing exercise of stuff of self-deprecation oh man that'd be amazing I just think it'd be a lot of fun. And it's like, in in the sense, like, it's weird how I felt there's responsibility to get everybody some stage time. And I was literally creatively trying to figure out a way to give these straight white men straight stage look at time. Look what you're doing for them. Look and I was like, like, look at what we do for them. To the- I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Somebody at one point, like, criticized me for prioritizing, like, marginalized voices and queer voices or whatever in the space. And I felt like saying, like, by the way. I do a lot for you, too. Eileen <laughs> Woods, as a straight woman, really love white men. Yes, you do. I really love straight men. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's calm down. A lot of men can attest. <laughs> Not a lot. That's an exaggeration, but believe what you will. And uh, it was just the funniest thing because he finally, like, the guy who was challenging me finally like, sort of relaxed and was like, yeah, good point. I was like, I'm a straight woman. Why would you think I would keep straight men from my fucking lineup unless I actually gave a fuck? Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I would really rather mingle with the single white, like, or single very well-endowed men. Anyway, whatever. Um, It's a really, really, really weird thing to manage is, like, these these egos and these, um, everyone wants stage time, obviously. I'll I'll summarize it like this. Everyone wants stage time. Some people are able to see it from the perspective of the audience and what's beneficial for the actual scene. And some people are just very selfishly ego-centered and then go, like, why would I be excluded from this opportunity? 
without seeing that the actual approach was actually beneficial towards the actual if yeah. we if we if we have less people coming to shows that's a problem also yeah and it's like that kind of management and when i was able to actually convey that to some of these straight white dudes who were sort of upset it was like it, you know it's not an attack at all towards what the actual new brunswick where i'm from what the actual new brunswick standard scene is it's not to rebel against how certain open mics are run this is literally me asking a space for a night that is good for them to have an event so to pour money into the bar because open micers don't need money we need stage time to practice What's the night that is mutually beneficial for us comics to work on our art form and our craft that will bring money into your bar so that you can go ahead and pay your drag queens? What is that night that we're just helping you profit so that you can go ahead and keep your your bar alive? And it was really a delicate maneuver to have to explain that. that. The purpose was not like, I feel like I'm deprived of my time, so I'm going to phrase it this way or book my shows that way so that we can have our own space. It was like, no, it was never about that. It was about the audience. It was about making sure that we sold out as much as possible. And it was about making sure that that bar would actually make a profit. You know what's best for the scene? The scene. Overall, also- it's you, you having a successful show is only contributing to the broader picture yeah and like there's so many shows that you could do (laughs) let shows happen that you might not be suited for you know like yeah and like it it felt so selfless to me and to be it perceived like for it to be perceived as selfish oh my gosh like i was like no (laughs) like i'm just really trying to just help people get stage time my god and trying to help this bar out in 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 a very innocent way yeah. Because that's how I approach bars to do open mics is literally what's a slow night for you? What is a what will be a beneficial night for you to have an event to promote that might actually get more people into your space? Right. That's how I approach it. And it's been sort of foolproof thus far. Making lineups is tough. Picking people for shows. Lineups is tough. Is tough. It's always a tough thing. But to honestly, do. English versus French is a cakewalk. In New Brunswick, we don't have a lot of open mics. So if I put an ad, like if I put a post for open micers, I get signups from St. John, I get signups from Fredericton, Bathurst. Like they kind of come from all over the place because we're so limited. Yeah. It's not like Halifax, which is in and of itself, I'll say self-sufficient. You still need to travel if you really, if you actually want to test material in different spaces or whatever and see how sort of universal your material is. But in New Brunswick, it's a lot tougher. So if we put out a call out, it's 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 pretty fun. On the French side, however, I really have a tough time. Wow, I love so many of the French comics that we have. So I don't know if it's a a timing issue or oh, wow. or 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 what it is. Hmm. Um, it's just a lot harder to get a lineup together. Man, you're a hustler. Um, we're we're over two hours, Lens. So we gotta wrap it. We gotta. We could talk all night. I know. And you'll have to come back. Okay. Because we didn't get too too personal, 
in this one, but we had a lot of really great conversations, but I, I'd still love to have you back on another time. Talk dating, relationships, all of that. Um, I'll but date. one last segment before we go. Okay. Um, unpopular opinion. Do you have one? <laughs> Don't hate me for this, but it's time for unpopular opinion. Uh, okay, so I'll go back to my list and you can tell me what you think is interesting. Okay, so reading and writing are opposites. Are opposite. Are opposite to each other? Like, I really love writing. I hate reading. And people don't get that. I'm like, why would I be reading if I could be writing? I'd rather create. Like, to me, it's performing versus being an audience member. Much like performing stand-up versus watching stand-up. I'm like, to me, they're like two different, they're like two different things. Interesting. And people get really upset about me with that. Or people get upset with me about that. Okay. Um, I also wrote my fave comics do not necessarily reflect my style. A lot of people get really mad when they ask me who my favorite comics are. And then I'm like, I'll name them. And they'll be like, that's not what you were like. No, no, it's not. Ah. And then the other one is that I think all cars should be bumper cars. (laughs) Too funny. Well, let's dive into that. I like the, the first two for sure. So reading and writing. Say it again. Reading and writing are opposites. People will assume if you're a writer that you're an avid reader. I'm not. I'm not either. I hate My, reading. I hate reading. I read, still read a lot, but not like books. So people get really livid when I'm like, I'm a writer. I'm cra- a writer. And they'll be like, why Like, why can't you name me the last six books you read? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I copy style. Mm. I'm My first language is French also. So I think for a very long time when I was reading in English, I would copy style and mistake it for language. So fucking up. And so for a long, long time, I would just read the same books over and over because I knew I wasn't writing like that. So it felt safe. Mm. Um, So people get really mad when I say that, that I don't really read. And I've been recommended a bunch of books. I bought them. There are some books I'm able to read because I know it's impossible for me to recreate. I'm a huge fan of I always reread The Stench of Honolulu by Jack Handy. So, you know, Deep Thoughts by Jake Handy on uh, on SNL. I don't know if you've ever heard about them. No. So he wrote this Stench of Honolulu. I read like the same books over and over because I know I don't write that way. Interesting. Um, because I would get trapped. Like I remember submitting assignments at the Vancouver Film School where I went and they'd be like, this is exactly like. And then I'd be like, oh my God, that's exactly like. And I wasn't realizing I was doing that. Wow. So I get really weird about reading. I'm like, I can't read because if I read and now that I'm a mom, that's even harder because I have such limited time to write. Why the fuck would I read? It's my time to create. To me, to me, reading and writing is the difference between creating and being an audience member. They're similar. I don't. um, I I certainly don't. I have a hard time enjoying comedy now that I do it that's normal like watching it and going i'm just i'm too analytical at this point about it certain comedians i can definitely turn it off and just enjoy them but usually those comedians have a far different style than me and they're just their own unique alien and i can just watch sit back and watch but i feel like when i I feel like when i relate too much to a comic i'm just going like ah fuck like they did this they did this cool thing, and I, I wish I could do that cool thing. 
I'm like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just get too in my head about it, which is funny. Because you, you really think if you love doing it, you love watching it. But that's not always the case. I no, I think Do you like watching it? I do. But again, I think I'm very much like you. Because you're analytical. sometimes analytical, but also sometimes I'll hear a premise and I'm like, oh, shit. Like the other, the other day I went to a taping of a French show and two jokes were like directly things that I say. Now that's part of the, the the collective subconscious. Like that's not plagiarism. Like nobody stole my bits, but I'm si- sitting there going, "This is going to be nationally televised." Like these jokes have just died. So my experience watching these comics wasn't just like he he ha ha. Like I was sitting with a friend who was sort of looking at me like, "Lynn is living an experience, much like she was bit by a bee." And it's like not not enjoying this whatsoever. And I was trying to tell him, "No, I could absolutely absolutely." absolutely appreciate the humor i just couldn't laugh because it's too close to something i've been using for three years Fuck. and it's being immortalized on television by a different comic oh, no. and it's like at the end of the day i understand what the rules are yeah i, I understand that now i can no longer make that joke because this is now public. it's really fucking hard to be original it really 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 is and it's like i said it was just one of those moments where i was like no i i agree it's hilarious i wrote something very similar massive respect for this joke actually quite adore it can i giggle no am i concerned now sort of am i in grieving phase yes <laughs> like it's just like whatever just me do wow, it wow lynn Ugh. but i but i think you're right but i think it's part of your new ish your year in Yes, you're going to reach a point where you're going to be so comfortable in your own voice again. It's going to take like a ne- another I was like a while. At least a year or two. And then you're going to feel so comfortable in your own voice that none of that will bother you. Like, yeah. None none of that will affect you again. You'll sort of be like okay, able like, to just appreciate for what it is. Yeah, you'll you'll even even Which if it's friend. even if it's like a brushing against something that you feel is like a tone or like a point of view that you have that is similar. Yeah. You'll actually be more I don't like using the word threatening. It sounds severe, but you won't like, there's like this like weird thing where you'll be just very, very interested on the nuance and what their angle is because they do say every story has been told. Everything has been told. It's just how you tell it. Yeah. So you'll start reaching this phase where you're like, what's their take on it? What's my take on it? What's, what is maybe a unique thread that I have and how am I going to make my writing of that joke or that subject matter more stand on pointed and stand on its own. You're going to start feeling very differently about it. You'll hear somebody say something that sounds similar to something you're thinking, writing, working on, developing, and you'll just go, what specifically is this premise that he's using mm-hmm. and where's, where's where, where my branch is that it's very different. That's exciting. I'm excited. Sarah, and I'm so fucking pumped for you. I so I'm so lucky to know you and just just have this awesome weekend with you, Yay. and like this really late night conversation. It's very late. It's we gotta go. We uh, yawned, but like Lynn, I adore you, and uh, I love you. You're truly inspiring. Oh my god! And I can't wait to like talk to you again on here. I can't wait to like have you back down some night. We'll go out. We'll actually have some fun like some non-comedy fun go out um i want you to tell everybody where they can find you keep up to date with what you're doing show information all that do you have any shows coming up that you want to plug i don't know when this will be out though so maybe not but no right 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 now 
I mean, July was insane. Now we're towards the end of, end of July. So this this is sort of slowing down for me for a minute. Yeah. But um, I do have a Linwood's Facebook page yeah. where I try to post, you know, at least like a lineup of the shows that are sort of coming up and stuff like that. Good. Um, so that it's on there and people can refer to it as opposed to overly posting on it. I try to not be excessive on social media, even though people say, post your shit. They don't care. So so that exists. Um, I think that's about it for now. Instagram, um, bitch. I'm on Instagram, but it's not public. Oh, shit. That's fair. I, you know I had a to... really tough time with public Instagram, guys. I gotta say, do a close friends list. Okay. Maybe. Do, do you know what close friends list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, if you, if you want to get ranty or personal on your stories make a close friends list only post it to the people that you want to see it it's life-changing okay i'll think about it and and put me on there please (laughs) i have children i'm scared of social media hi yeah i can't you can can, i do feel like social media can be curated in a way that would make sense but people a lot of people just don't know how to curate it but um you gotta you gotta like her facebook page stay up to date with len just sarah you're just such a pillar of the halifax comedy scene it's been such an honor this was so fun everyone come to yuck yucks we gotta give a massive plug to yuck yucks because because uh francois weber um runs yuck yucks he was the headliner this weekend and he treats the comics amazingly half man half god Half man, half God. So supportive, so kind. <laughs> gives great constructive feedback. Um, like, is just an awesome person. I hope to have him on as a guest at some point. Yeah. But you got to check out Yuck Yucks Halifax on Argyle Street. Every Friday and Saturday, baby. I'm going to make sure that there's links to Yucks. Uh, and Lynn Yuck fucking killed rules. it as middle. She's so good. Those regret- rules. I'm good in the middle. <laughs> good in the middle. But you'll you'll be headliner soon. You will be. I don't know. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Spoken like a true comic. Right there. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep working, Lynn. Keep working. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna. <laughs> and you get to close up the episode. I'm gonna try to get this in your camera. Oh, my God. The bell. I'm gonna do this. There you go. Yay! We did it! <laughs> that was so badass. Oh, that was epic. Almost two and a half hours Broken dead. Lynn broken dead. You almost broke it. Oh no, it's a bird. Thank you for listening to the Intoxicated Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast app you use and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. You can also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Intoxicated Podcast and check out our video episodes on the Intoxicated YouTube channel. Until next week, feel hard and talk hard. Intoxicated Podcast is hosted and produced by Sarah McClellan, co-produced by Sarah Nicole, and brought to you by the messiness of life.